Welcome to the Out of the Basement Podcast with Devram Turak, Patrick Gleason, and Patrick Ramsahoy. And now, here's the show. Right, welcome to episode 8 of the Out of the Basement Podcast. My name is Devin Turak. Today, it's probably going to be a short um, episode. Um, the Pats aren't here. I'm currently at my parents' place. My sister's in town, so, so she's staying here, uh, Aisha Turak, as you may remember from episode 4, I believe. I think so. I think it was 4. Yeah, so it's St. Patrick's Day, um, the paths aren't available, and it's been a month since we did our last podcast, so we're doing one today. Um, I have a bunch of new stuff to talk about, but before we do that, let's get to our first segment, which is our week in gaming, or our weeks in gaming, as the case may be. Aisha, what have you done? So, <clears throat> gaming-wise, I'm really only a, a video game kind of player, and... Mm-hmm. I've been playing um, <clears throat> pretty mediocre adventure games for a number of years, but uh, especially I just finished one last night, <clears throat> and uh, it's I actually quite like this uh, this website. It's called Big Fish Games, where they have a lot of casual gaming kind of video games, and they sometimes have large file adventure games. But really, the <clears throat> the explosion of these casual gaming sites means that the quality of these adventure games has gone gone down from sort of the heights of what I remember. So I, was, I started out playing these kind of adventure games with Myst back in the day, <clears throat> back when I was in university and undergrad. That's a long time ago now. Um, <clears throat> and over the years, I've sort of gotten the best of the best you know, out, out of these adventure games. You know, classics like Nightlong and Siberia and The Beast Within, which is one of my favorite games of all, and Pandora Directive. And <clears throat> okay, well, let's take a second to talk about The Beast Within. All right. This is probably... One of the best. I mean, gotta remember, this is back in the late nineties. It might have been possibly too, early two thousand. No, it was late nineties. I think. I, I, don't, I don't think I had gone to. No, I might have been in grad school. I can't remember. No, because you were here in town. You right. didn't do grad school here in town. No, I did not. And <clears throat> we were still living together in the same house. So that was before you went away to university. Wow, that was a long time ago. But we were here in Ottawa, so it was after between ninety five and uh, and two thousand. Hmm. So somewhere somewhere in that in that five year period. It's basically like a, a werewolf game. It takes place in Germany, which one of the things I liked was the fact that it took place in Germany because you know you see all these German signs everywhere when you're playing the game, and That's and true. the game is somewhat uh, photorealistic. I want to say like the the way the game played, you were in an area, and it was almost like a, they took a photograph of that area and then digitalized digitized it. Uh, I mean, it was it wasn't photorealistic because nowadays there are real photorealistic type okay. games where they take real photographs. Right. And this was definitely an animated version of a, of what looked like a real town. For right. Example. But it wasn't a three D immersive environment or anything like no, that. No, no, it, it was it was well, it was kind of three dimensional <clears throat> in that they kind of they added depth in the picture. Yes. And so things that were further away were smaller, and when you had to click on something that was that was in the depth, uh, it was a smaller. <coughs> hotspot area to, to click on. That's true. But it was like, it was a traditional adventure game in which you had to solve puzzles or like you, you, you advance the story by acquiring either items that you, mm-hmm. that you found in your environment. Like say you were in a wooded area, you picked up a rock, which somehow you had to use later on or a, a log that you yep. later on used. So it, it, it's like inventory management. Mm-hmm. Um, it's determining 
I don't remember if there was any combining of, was combining. of items. It wasn't. It wasn't as. I mean, this was a much simpler game. Yeah, than, than this, the games that this, it is now. this was like twenty years ago. But yeah, God, oh, jeez. <laughs> but I mean, you know, one of the best sort of combining and inventory type games, adventure games that I've played in the last little while is, um, <clears throat> I think it was called Escape from Treasure Island. <clears throat> wow, that's an old game. No, it's, oh, it's that, not. This is the new it's version. A new, it's a new one. Okay. Um, I think it's called Escape from Treasure Island. Oh, I should really, should really look it up. Ah, you know, research. Yeah, well, I didn't realize we were talking about this at this particular podcast because, again, you didn't give me any kind of information. So, how many times do I have to say it? Listen, shush. I. The point is, is that, is that there are there are a number of really good uh, <clears throat> games for microids, especially that uh, that have really good inventory management and combining and solving sort of real life puzzles. Where <clears throat> in this particular case, you you were by yourself on this desert island, not desert island, a tropical island that turned out to be. Um, Treasure Island, you know, from from the classic story, <clears throat> and um, so not Monkey Island. Not Monkey Island. No, Escape from Monkey Island is like it's a really old game, and that was in fact the very first game adventure game that I ever played with my best friend. Okay. And I think I was telling you this, but my favorite sort of puzzle solving involved uh, breaking this guy out of jail by using the grog that uh, <clears throat> they were drinking in the tavern because the grog apparently was acidic and it was the only thing that could dissolve these, these bars so you could break the, this guy out of jail. Anyway. And this was back in the days before the internet or when the internet yeah. was still in its infancy. No, so it's how do you find this information? Pre-internet. How do you find information about how to do this? Yes. You just try everything you have in your inventory until it works, which gotcha. is you know the world before walkthroughs. Is yeah, no about, walkthroughs. Right? But, um, but that, I mean, that kind of thing I love. And I love sort of... The ones that are true to life where you have to... <clears throat> and that's why this, this one where you're escaping from this island was really good, because you have to go around the island finding things to help you survive. Right. You have to, like, catch fish, and you have to cook this fish, and you have to collect wood, and then start a fire, and you have, you know, you make up some kind of... You find flint and sort of start a fire. Like, all these kind of things. It's very realistic to what one would... Do, well, realistic. But what, <laughs> what one would do if you were on this island and right. had to, you know, like, rather than... And try to survive. Right, rather than some, you know finding a random piece of rock over here and then another random piece of rock over here and then magically combining them into forming the, the magical artifact that will save you, right? Like, right. it's not that level. Right. <clears throat> but <clears throat> those are the... So the, these are the, the newer, the newest type of games. But in this, <clears throat> in The Beast Within, you, you had some very minor combinations, mm -hmm. but it also, again, again, made logical sense. Like, the right. progression of the story was very logical. And that's the thing that I like about these kinds of games is the ones where... You know, you do this, and then you do this, and then you do that, and that progresses the story forward. Right. As opposed to the ones where... And it's done in a logical manner. Exactly. As opposed to the one, and, and you can sort of figure out, you know, you find something, you're like, oh, I found this thing. And then you run into a puzzle, and you're like, oh, this, this will work perfectly in this puzzle kind of right. thing. As opposed to, you find the puzzle, and you're like, well, I have to find some random square-shaped or, like, cross-shaped piece of rock. And you search the rest of the... everywhere to find this rock. Right. Whatever. Like, it's... <clears throat> I like those kind of things, where it makes sense what you're doing, as opposed right. to some completely arbitrary, go back to an area that you've already searched before, and some new thing is, is magically appears. I think that's the worst. When there are things that appear that are triggered by your actions. Although, I mean, in some cases that makes sense. Like, like if you're in a place and there's a locked room, and you advance the storyline and someone else has already gone there. Like, the storyline says right. someone else has been to that place. And so when you go back, that, that door that was locked is now unlocked. That, that somewhat makes sense. Somewhat. But when they do things like that, it's, it's annoying. Because you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, already, I'm done with this area. Yeah. Why do I go back? Exactly. To? Unless there's some logical reason why right. I go back. And that was one of the things that was very interesting about Myst. Right? Because Myst is a completely um, nonlinear storyline. Right. 
And because there was nobody else to trigger anything, it was all you, and you were just randomly searching these places, this island, basically, that you found yourself on, where you had no backstory, you had no idea what was happening, and you just have to figure out what's happening by searching. And every, you could search anything in any order and do it in any, any way, and it would always work. Which I, always thought, was, which I thought was really fun. <clears throat> because it doesn't limit you. I mean, that's one of the problem with, with adventure storylines sometimes. Very, is that very linear. It's very linear, and you can't go back, you can't do anything. Right. And that's, that was one of the real reasons that Mist was such a big breakthrough, is because it wasn't that way. It was completely open-ended. It was completely open-ended. Right. I mean, there was a story that you could progress through, but the order in which you did anything had no, didn't really matter. Right. Um, <clears throat> and, which some would say is, is kind of bad, right? Because you couldn't trigger anything to progress the storyline by doing something. But, um, but it was en- there was enough happening in this world that it didn't matter. Okay. Right? And because the, the puzzles weren't really tied to each other. Like, you didn't have to do one to then do the other to do the other kind of thing, right. unless it was a very clearly... Like, it was, it was that, that line of, of sequence was happening there. So you couldn't get to that, that next level unless you had done this particular puzzles. But it had no impact on the other puzzles that you could have interacted at the same sort of level. Okay. But, um, <clears throat> but... And I think that kind of immersive environment is what led to some other really incredible games. And <clears throat> one of my favorite games was Missing. And I was telling you about this yesterday right. as well. Where, uh, where it's like the next level of crazy open-ended adventure games because the storyline is basically <clears throat> that some... This uh, reporter was kidnapped and his kidnapper sent this disc, this encrypted disc, to... Uh, to his, his workplace, which was some <clears throat> some newspaper, I think, or, or a television uh, sort of like news program, saying, you know, we, we, we have your man, and if you decrypt this disc, you'll find him, kind of thing. <laughs> was the, the letter that accompanies it. And uh, apparently, you know, and this, the way that the story is sort of built up is <clears throat> they asked all the, the general public to try to help them decrypt this disc. And, and you, you as the person who bought this, this game, had, had sent them some information saying, I, I will help you, and they sent you the disc. And that's sort of the premise of the story. So they're trying to immerse you in your... They're, they're, they're mixing the game world and the real world together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's done in a very realistic way. And in fact, it's completely mixed with the real world because in order to solve the puzzles or just to try to break the encryption on this disc, you have to check your email, you have email conversations with other people that you're partnered with in the game to try to solve the disc together. And sometimes you need clues from them to actually solve parts of the, the puzzle that you're trying to <clears throat> trying to, to sort of figure out. And just to clarify, when you say email, you're talking about your, your actual personal email yes. in the real world. Yeah, not an in-game email, nothing like that. Right. <clears throat> and, um, and so, I mean, it's obviously the game is triggering these emails. Right. It's not a real person who's sending the emails, right. but but the implication is that that is the case, right? right? That you're getting emails from other people around the world who are also trying to decrypt this. this your, your, your team of adventurers exactly. in the real world. In the real world. Trying to solve this problem. Right. And you also uh, have to access a, sort of a very wide variety of websites that they have built as part of the game that is actually on the internet right. in order to find clues to then solve the puzzle. Cool. But some of the, I mean, some of the puzzles were, <clears throat> were uh, easy enough for me because I had a lot of experience as a gamer a lot of these adventure puzzles tend to be similar. So mm-hmm. once you know how to solve one, you can solve others. But uh, sometimes I would get the clue from my, my colleague after I had solved the puzzle already because, <laughs> I mean, you know, accessing had triggered it and then they, they wait a certain amount of time before right. they, they send you this email. And sometimes I'd get this email and they go, oh, you know, if you try this, that'll help you. You know, you, could, you can get this level from this, these clues. And I was like, well, I just have that level. So done. <laughs> Dude, that's so four hours ago. Exactly. Where, where were you? Exactly. And, um, and, I mean, this game was so creepy and immersive and, and interesting that, you know, I, 
this is where my like geeky moment came in where <clears throat> I sat down to play it for like a, an hour or two because I had an hour or two to kill before I was going to this party. And it was so incredibly immersive that I skipped the party. <laughs> and basically, you know, by the time I got, I got to a point in the game where I was stuck and I needed some... I, I basically, I needed an email to come from somebody. Mm-hmm. And the, the time span that they had left as a lag to get it to me was, <clears throat> was longer than I had patience for. And, um, and so when I looked up and I had to sort of stop the game, it was two or three in the morning. And, and I'd been playing for, I don't know, like seven or eight hours straight at that point. All right. And then, of course, I, you know, I went home, I slept, I woke up, I came back as early as I could in the morning <clears throat> at my work, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Sitting at my, at my desk. Luckily, this is during my, my grad years where, you know, my, my supervisor didn't come and see what I was doing every day. So the whole day was basically given to this game. And, and it, there's a good 20, 25 hours worth of gameplay that I did in 25 hours, basically. In <laughs> one sitting, I finished this whole game. But it was awesome. It was really amazing. And... And those are the kind of games that I and that was I mean, that was now like two thousand and two, two thousand and three. Right. This is a long time ago. And the games that I find now are much more <clears throat> geared towards a casual gamer, someone who doesn't have twenty five hours. So that you know, maximum you have four or five hours gameplay, and the puzzles aren't that hard, and right. it's easy to skip them, and it's done with multiple levels and all this kind of stuff. And so, <clears throat> so while I enjoy it and still play all these games, obviously because I know about them, um, I'm really hoping for some hardcore, high-quality adventure games. And there's a couple out there. I just recently started playing a game called Da Vinci, which is uh, about Da Vinci's lost notebooks, and you're an investigator who's trying to find them. Oh, so it has nothing to do with the Da Vinci Code? No, no, no. Nothing to do with the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) Nothing to do with God. Not Dan Brown, not about the Templars. (laughs) Well, hopefully not. Maybe it'll come out that way. But at the moment, it's about his notebooks, and you were his apprentice or something. Or no, you weren't his apprentice. You... Something. Something about you were somehow... <clears throat> knew about these notebook pages and they were hidden in this castle somewhere and you have to go out and explore the castle to find them kind of thing. And you, you insinuate yourself into the castle through some ruse. So, you know, that's the idea. Okay, so what brought about this talk about adventure games is one that I recently ran across, um, like maybe earlier this week, actually Monday or Tuesday, called Resonance. And it's, uh, it's set out by a company called... Mii Games, M-I-I Games, I think. I don't, I don't actually remember. I'll, I'll maybe link it on the, the show notes. Um, and it's an adventure game, and I thought I would particularly like it because it deals in the world of physics. Cool. Which, and it's, it's totally sci-fi. It's, it's about... Um, uh, they, they, they find a, a particle. It's actually two particles, and if you spread them, a positive or negative particle, mm-hmm. and if you spread them apart... They'll run back together. Okay. And so when you release them, the midpoint where they meet causes this ma- massive chain reaction. Like there's a um, explosion of some kind. It, it ends up being an explosion if you take them far apart, far enough apart. Mm-hmm. But if it's closer together and you release them, then it just produces energy. Oh, okay. So it, it's it's like a, a, a almost not not quite self-sustaining, but it's it's a it's a energy. <laughs> creation to save the world type of thing, which of course someone takes and turns it into a weapon. Of course. So I, I thought this kind of thing would be right up your alley. It deals yes. with particle physics. Which um, I enjoy. Well, yeah, exactly. And, Adventuring. And oh, it's an adventure game. Lovely. And it's, it's actually kind of cool because there are, there are four different people. You're, you're basically trying to solve a mystery. And there are four people involved in it. Um, I don't think it's giving away too much to say that somebody gets murdered. And then one person is like this, this murdered person's assistant. One person is a cop. 
one person is the murdered person's relative, and one is a uh, journalistic investigator trying to figure out what the hell's going on. So which one are you? Are you some other you're person? You're all of them. Oh, you're all of them. You control oh, all okay. of them. And in fact, in order to complete the... the so it's not a first-person type, type of... No, no, it's a, it's a third-person mm-hmm. side-scrolling... And I, I'm going to start by saying it has the worst possible graphics. It's like it has <laughs> it has 12 or, or, or sorry, eight or 16 big graphics. Oh no! And it's intentionally made that way oh, that because it's like about the story. Games, right? Yeah, right. But I mean, it was made like maybe this year or last year, so right. it's very very recent, and it's really intricate and it has a really good storyline, which is what I like most about it. Cool. But it's not about visual mm-hmm. representation. It's about the story, and uh, they did a really really good job of this. So I thought I should like it. And I was going to bring her a copy of it on a new USB drive that she just gave me yesterday. And yep. I have not nope, good. done that Excellent. Yet. Perfect. Well, hopefully I will get a chance to play this game. But we could just download it now. Yes. And you could play it then. We could play so it. So anyway, Resonance, very cool. I'll put a link to it um, <clears throat> in somewhere in the show notes, or I'll put it on the Facebook page. Cool. Other than that, I've basically just been doing Star Wars... The Old Republic and WoW in the last couple of weeks. Online, Star Wars online gaming. Online gaming. Star Wars because um, they're getting ready for their first expansion to come out. It's called the Rise of the Hot Cartel, and in order to get ready for that, they're letting people get to or helping people get to the, the maximum level of fifty, because the the level will then increase to fifty five once this new expansion comes out. And they're having what they call double XP weekends, where you earn twice as much XP doing whatever you want. So they're only, they're only upping the, the expansion up by five levels? Correct. Well, that's not a big expansion. It's, it? it's a free expansion, first of all. It's, not, it's an expansion you don't have to pay for. Oh, that's always helpful. Oh, no, hold on. No, no, sorry. It's not free. You, you pay $10 yeah, for it. Yeah, of course you do. You're right. But most WoW expansions, where they open a, a whole new continent, mm-hmm. and you have to pay 50 or $60, oh. or 30 or $40 to expand to this new area, mm-hmm. only raise it by 10 Oh, so, well, they only raise it by five, so... This, so this is only raised by five, but it's a quarter of the cost. But they're still opening a new area. They're still opening a brand new planet, okay. um, new quest line. They're extending or extending the storyline, the mm-hmm. overall overarching storyline of, uh, of the game, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. So yeah, but so get, to get ready for that, double XP weekends, I think it's for the next three or four weeks, which is kind of cool. So you can, if, especially if you want to start a brand new character, you can level up really quickly. Like in two hours, I think I took a smuggler from... 13 to 19 or 20. Which is, is, that, cool. is that a fast time? It's right? actually quite fast. All right. I don't, I don't play this kind of MMO <laughs> RPGs, and so I have no idea I how know. they work. Really. Nor do anyway, I understand them, as I mentioned the last time. Anyway, it's a fun game. Um, <clears throat> I enjoy it. So, And I got Paul, who was on the show, and another buddy out in Edmonton. Um, we all kind of will group together over Skype, and we'll, we'll basically run through the adventure together. Which, which makes it much more fun. This is in WoW or in... In, in uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, yeah. okay. No, not Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, sorry. The Old Republic. The Old Republic. It, I, I say not Knights of the Old Republic because Knights of the Old Republic was a standalone video game. I think that I, you probably watched me play. I did watch you play that game yeah. because I remember that game very well. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Okay, so that's basically all I have for old news. But I have a shit ton of stuff about new news. Some of it is game related. Not so sorry. Some of it is geek related. In that, there are two amazing movies coming out in the month of May. Maybe you've heard of them. One is called Iron Man Three. Nah. Eh. No, I like. I, I do like Iron Man. Actually. Iron Man, very well done. And to- the guy who plays Tony Stark. Yeah, he's, he's perfect. So for well it. suited because he's he, he kind of lived Tony Stark's life in his youth. 
minus the scientific creation because he was an actor. And but, minus but, the extreme wealth. Like, he wasn't that Oh, wealthy. yeah, of course. He wasn't as wealthy as Tony Stark. Okay, he's not, he, he, may not, to be. he may not be Tony Stark wealthy because he doesn't have a company that's making him billions yeah. through... But he was a playboy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he lived Tony Stark's life. Women, booze, drugs. Like, he did it all. And Robert Downey Jr., amazing, amazing actor, though. Like, as it turns actor. out, he's a very, very good actor. Yeah, definitely. So, and he seems to enjoy the role. I think that's oh, the important I, I, thing. I think it's, this is a role that was made for him. Yeah, like, I mean, he really gets... I think that's the part that really... You know, usually with sequels and things, they get kind of... You know, they get lost somehow in the right. storyline, or it's just kind of pointless, and it's clear the actors are just doing it for the money. Right. And, and that's, you never get that feeling with him, at least. I don't think you get that at all with superhero-type movies, because... People, I think, really enjoy making superhero movies. I don't know. That guy, that Captain America guy, he's... Chris uh, Chris Everett? Is that his name? I don't know who it is, but first of all, I didn't like that movie. You didn't like Captain America? No. I and, thought it was fantastic. And the Avengers, it was, it was just kind of flat to me. I didn't oh, really find it That's because you don't like Captain America to begin no, with. No, I don't like Captain America to begin with. I just think the whole thing is a little ridiculous, but... I mean, there, I do get that sense from certain certain um, superhero movies where it's they're clearly doing it for the money, and they're not embracing it in what it is. Like, it has to be kind of campy to to get to the same level that the, the comic books bring you, which are completely over-the-top yeah. and ridiculous, right? Like, that's a comic book thing, and um, as opposed to an action-adventure kind of story. Right. And, <clears throat> and that's one thing that I think Robert Downey Jr. does really well. Yeah. I mean, you, I, he, I think he particularly really enjoys yeah, that. Yeah, like, role. he really enjoys being that, that guy. Yeah. And, and even, even... Because it's him. It's, well... He's not even acting. He's just living he's, out... Exactly. He's just living, he's out living out the billionaire fantasy yeah. as in, I, I get to wear a suit of armor. Exactly. And fly around and, yeah. and, and, and you know, protect people and yeah. do all, all, the, all the sort of, like, feel-good things. Right. But the part that I, of course, like the most about, uh, about Iron Man... Well, I do like Pepper, of course. Pepper is the best. But... What I like about his company and his sort of vision, especially in the second movie, is he's moving to this alternative energy, right. you know, to save the world kind right. of thing. Which going I, away from arms, which is where he made yeah, all of his money, exactly. or his which, dad made all of his money. Which I thought was kind of was both fun and also because I work in alternative energy, right. it kind of speaks to my my geeky heart, right? About <clears throat> that maybe, we should we should sort of sell these things. Maybe in segment three, we'll talk about some of the stuff that you're working on. Sure, because people might be interested. Maybe, I think it's pretty cool. Oh, you'll be happy to know that uh, my Turkish football team, Galatasaray, is playing against <laughs> Kaiser Sport. It's the goal. It's currently two nothing for Galatasaray. Excellent. Yeah, I don't think Kaiser Sport is that. It's really that good. Irrelevant. <laughs> a win's a win. Galatasaray is like the best team in the league most of the time. Correct. They're they're in the top three. I think like every year. Yeah, exactly. So. It's 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 like it's like watching the the British football league. Where, yes, where it's Man U against everyone else. Yeah, well, no, I mean, there's like the top three, and they always seem to win, and they sort of circulate, and then there's every once in a while there's some like surprise of one yeah. of the, the pathetic teams manage to rise up to the ranks, and they get crushed by Man U or Arsenal or Correct. somebody, right? Like, it's, oh, good old Arsenal, not doing so well this year, unfortunately, my well, poor, my beloved Arsenal. But still, it's like there are these these top teams, and then yeah. there's the rest of the field that yeah. nobody really cares about, which. Kind of seems pointless, though. And of course, now we're talking sports, which no one who listens to this cares right. about. So no one cares about sports. I hate sports anyway. No, I, that's a lie. I don't actually like sports. I don't like to watch sports though, the same way that Dev does. <clears throat> but we're not. We're talking about geeky things. We're talking so geeky. We'll move away from okay. sports. So, in non-movie, or sorry, non-superhero. Oh, you related, the second movie. Oh, the second movie is Star Trek. 
the, the second Star Trek should be by J.J. Awesome. Abrams. Yes, I'm looking forward to that much more than, than Iron Man 3, I would say. Uh, our, our good buddy Paul is convinced that uh, Cumberbun is playing... Cumberbatch? Whatever. <laughs> is, is playing Khan, the, the new iteration of Khan. I'm not so sure because they're, they're keeping it very much on Yeah, but he's definitely playing a villain. He's Oh, of course so, he's playing a villain. But, uh, but he's, I th- that's I th- the villain. Yeah, but I, think I just don't know that it's Khan. I think, well, they'd be foolish not to... To exploit the extreme uh, love of love and of the second obsession episode? with yes yeah, second well the second, 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 second movie. movie yeah exactly Star Trek with, with the wrath of Khan. the wrath of Khan. however it is so beloved and it is so yeah. revered that to if to, to do it and to do it kind of crappy would would really kill the whole franchise because it would really alienate a lot of the people who are obsessed yes. about it. And so <clears throat> they might do a Khan-like character, but I'm not sure they would call him Khan. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, and, I, I, I personally don't think it will be Khan. Yeah. But, but he's definitely some, some kind of Khan, maybe Khan-like. I mean, and and about, he's a very good actor, too. He is a very good actor. He plays Sherlock in, uh, in, the, British in, the, in the British version. Which TV show Sherlock. It's so amazing. Have they put out their third season yet? No, but they've... Uh, or the third series, as they call it? I, but they've definitely announced it, and they may even have announced series four. Because, okay. I mean, it's... There's only three episodes yeah. of these shows. But I they're get. an hour and a half each. They are an hour and a half each. So it's, it's basically <clears throat> each series is three movies. Yeah, so it's like six episodes, which is a normal run for, for British shows. For British shows that aren't Doctor Who and right. Coronation Street. And, yeah, and I don't know what it is about the Brits. They, they make a very small number of episodes. Yeah, but, they, but they do really but high quality, quality right? right? As opposed true. to 25 episodes of crap. Hey, I'll have you get. know that HBO puts out usually, oh, I say usually because they, they're moving away from this as well. It used to be 13 episodes, yeah. so half of a proper season. Yeah, they usually put out eight now. In, in, yeah, it's eight or ten now, yeah. which just... Well, it's because the, I mean the costs are increasing to high care. quality shows, so they but the amount they charge seems to be increasing too. Yeah, but the amount of people who don't watch HBO on or watch these shows on HBO is also increasing, and that's part problem. of the problem, right? <laughs> is that they continue to make high quality, but, but people steal them. People are stealing them because it's it's easier to do. I will have you know that I do not. I know you I buy go, box I sets. purchase the box sets once they're released. Well, I think I mean the whole industry is is trying to is trying to move towards a way of of. <clears throat> measuring these things better, right? That the number of TV views is not really the indication of how popular a, right. a program is. Mostly because not only do people people don't watch it in that time slot anyway, right? People are also DVRing it, and yeah. they're also doing they're watching it on DVD and they're watching it online and they're streaming and they're doing whatever. And there's like a thousand ways to see it now. Right. And then if they only use the numbers, which people just I mean they still report only those numbers, the number like the Nielsen ratings. Right. On the night that is shown, and it doesn't have any reflection. Yeah, it's accurate. I mean, it's the least number of people who are watching it, actually. So, so I think there's really they have to find some other way of measuring the popularity of particular things. But at the same time, what's happening is that you know because everything costs a lot of money, then all they show on TV now is reality shows, and then you can get everything else everywhere else. So, which is why I don't own TV anymore. (sighs) It might be smart. It is smart. Because that shit will rot your brain. Reality TV is the worst thing to happen to the human race. We don't have to go into it. I just want to... I find it a very sad, sad statement that uh, there are 25 seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. Just, I think that puts everything into perspective. Has it really been going on for 25 years? No, but there's been 25 seasons of them. So, how do, how do of the two I, of them together. Oh, so, together. Yeah, so, so, 12, 12, so about 12 years. 12 10 years, years 13 years. I think The Bachelorette came a couple of years after The Bachelor, yeah. so... But, like, they've been on the air for 10... There's been enough content right. for 25, 25 series gotcha. of this this episode, right? I mean, of this, these, these shows, which is just depressing beyond belief, really, actually. It really is, like, <clears throat> auctioning off someone. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, in, 
you know, this idea of finding true love in 12 weeks when you're stuffed together into this, into a house and in this completely unreal situation mm -hmm. is quite gross. Really. Yeah. <clears throat> and if there, if there weren't money involved at the end, like the winner, if the winner didn't get a prize of a million dollars, I think it would be less grotesque because really it's, it's people are, are completely misrepresenting themselves yeah. for the purpose of winning that money. Well, I, I think something like five or six times out of 10, the, the, the true love person doesn't end up with the guy. She just takes the money and goes. Well, more than six times out of ten. There's been 25 seasons. Right. None of these people have ever gotten married or lived together. I thought the, the first two seasons of The Bachelor... I, think, I mean, they got married. I don't think they're still oh, together. <laughs> you know, they may have gone through the, with the wedding, but I don't know. So what you're saying is they're all whores. Well, both men and women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, yeah, on yeah. sides, yeah. Oh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, not differentiating between sides. Yeah, I'm saying no, I mean, the all people of it... who do these shows are whores. Yeah, well, it's, it's apparently... In the most literal sense, yeah. as in they're selling their body for money. Yes. Which, in the real world, I don't have a problem with. But when you're doing it for the purposes of a TV show, well, sickens me to no, to no end. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with selling yourself for money. No, but, absolutely not. No, it's no, a time-honored tradition. Even on TV. But the point, the problem is that they represent themselves as looking for this true love. And they're not... Right. You know, if it was an honest... Because they're whores. Oh, you're saying if they were honest about, yeah. I'm only here because of the money, yeah. but I think you should still pick me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not that it would ever happen. Because it's all about the fantasy of the sort of true right. romantic love. Bullshit. Well, and the part that I find the worst about it, really, and we're totally segueing off our geeky yeah. topics, but anyway, <laughs> the worst thing I find about it is that these women, especially, mm. more so than the men, like the yeah, women... Because the women are whores. No. <laughs> no Again, not in the literal sense, but in the... Well, in the literal sense, actually, not in the in the sort of prostitution sense. Right. Non well, they're not prostitutes, they're whores. Yeah, <laughs> there, so. there is a difference. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but, the, you know, they basically, there's a, a number of them are, are actually somewhat accomplished women like, who have careers and lives outside of the show. But they don't really. Well, I'm sure even that's a lie. They just well, lie about it to get into the... I, you know, whatever. Whether they're lying or not. The, the point is that they they regularly on the show, I've heard, okay? I haven't watched the show. I think I watched you the first to, season. You seem to know no, I read a book. awful lot about this. I read a book about it recently. Okay. Um, Someone wrote a book about The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Well, they wrote about reality in okay, general. Reality it's, called, it's called Reality Bites Back, which is a really good book. But it's really just depressing to read it, actually, because right. it talks about how... It's the fall of the human race, basically. It is the fall of the human race. I also believe that, that reality TV is the sign of the, the end of humanity. Yeah. Like it's really the, the indications that we're falling into an abyss. But... <clears throat> the this is the kind of decadent lifestyle that led to Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll just have you know. <laughs> Pretty soon people are going to be turned to pillars of salt, there's going to be flames coming from the sky. That would, that would make some people very happy. But anyway, before we digress completely into some weird biblical discussion, I'm just going to say that the part that I find really disturbing about these women is that you know they, they claim that they have these, these other lives and right. these, these careers, which they immediately give up in order to be with this person. Of course. And, they, and <clears throat> once they're on the show... All of their, you know, their one of the, I think one of them that was a lawyer or something, and she literally, <clears throat> her boss apparently was like, "If you leave, I'm firing you." Right. And she left, and she went on the show instead. Good. Right. So her her view was that the show and this this pretend quest for true love was more important to her than her career. Than her career. As a lawyer, that she clearly, I mean, she worked hard to get. I'm assuming she probably didn't. Her well, dad probably bought her the, the lawyership. Well, I'm pretty sure that if that was the case, they wouldn't have fired her so quickly. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, but like that kind of the message that it's sending to people who are watching it is is quite it's quite bad. I think that's the part that's really troubling is that you know, women fought really hard to be able to go and actually work. Mm -hmm. And I recently watched a documentary that was about the feminist movement that was on PBS a couple of days ago, and um, <clears throat> and you would be shocked to know that the you know. 
the sort of sex segregated hiring practices where there was in the in the newspaper it said jobs for men and jobs for women mm-hmm. was in the nineteen seventies. Right? Nineteen seventies, right. you know, well into <clears throat> into like basically our lifetime almost right. is a time when there was a serious sort of uh, <clears throat> inab- well not a divide, but this inability of women to progress very high. You know, there was this this one part of it I was listening to was that <clears throat> Med schools and, and law schools had quotas for the amount of women they could take, and the quotas were five percent. Wow, five percent women of all intake. <clears throat> yeah, of all intake into the med school or into the law school was wow. five. Five percent could be women. Okay. <clears throat> and there's a, fa- a relatively famous breast cancer uh, researcher whose name is Susan Love, and uh, and she was talking about this where she <clears throat> you know, she called around and was trying to apply to to all these med schools, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we've taken our five percent this year, and. Try again or whatever, whatever it was. They and, were and they weren't even ashamed about it. No, they were just was, outright saying, "We've, we've well, why would they be ashamed? This is this is this is the situation." Right. And then, and then Title IX, which was a uh, <clears throat> a law that that was passed in the United States, that uh, basically said that women and men had to have equal opportunities at university. And the biggest impact it had was on women's sports, obviously. Right. <clears throat> that's how people usually remember Title IX. But uh, but the other impact it had was that you know it lifted this quota system, right. and apparently the year between like the, so one year <clears throat> before Title IX, the number of women was thirty percent or fifteen percent, and then Title IX passed, and the next year the enrollment was thirty percent women. So it's not that there weren't enough women who wanted to go in; it's right. just they were physically prevented from doing right. so. And this kind of stuff all happened not that long ago, right. you know. And <clears throat> and that's like the part within that's, our lifetime. Within our lifetime, well, a little bit before, right? But but almost. Okay. Almost, but like th- within 40 years, right. this is what's been happening. And, uh, and so women fought really hard for that. And then nowadays you hear all these, these people who are like, oh, you know, feminists are crazy and feminists hate yeah, men but, and feminists hate things. And, they've gone overboard. Well, sometimes. Like, like, but any good thing, they've taken it too far. But it, well, except that part of it is this sort of trying to erode all these rights that were gained. Mm-hmm. And, and the real troubling part of it is this, you know, the, the, the reason that they wanted to keep women from going into these professions is because women's place should be in the home. Correct. And then you see these women who are immediately choosing, are showing on national television that they would rather, that the only thing that's important to them in life is to be married. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter to who. And some random guy that you just met <laughs> you know, a week ago is going to be your true love from now on. And more important than that career that you just spent. Right. Four or five or six. I mean, if you went to into to law school, you went, you at least did four years of undergrad and right. then another sort of two or three years of law school, right. and articling and whatever. So you you spent seven years in your education and you're like, forget that. This guy that I just met yesterday, he's the one. He's gonna he's gonna solve all my problems. Right, because she's gonna get, she's gonna get a billion dollars out of it. That's yeah. how she's how it's gonna solve all of her problems. Right. So, but it's just the message that it sends because yeah. no one ever says I'm doing it for the million dollars. That I would, I'd have some kind of respect for. Be <laughs> you know, like, oh no, I'm doing it for true love. Because clearly, true love is more important than my career that I just spent all this time, right. you know, working for. Forget that. That's ridiculous. She's so saying it's a bad message to kids. Yes, yes, I know. Well, perhaps kids shouldn't be watching these shows to begin with. Sadly, most people who watch them are kids, right? And that's that's a big problem. Or but young, they're, young but they're on at night, and kids should be in bed by seven. Oh, please. <laughs> yes, and they also re- rebroadcast them on the internet at all times, right? So it's not like you can't see it whenever you want to. Well, of course, all parents have parental controls on the amount of on their computers and they regulate the amount of and they regulate not only the amount of time their children spend on the internet but also what their children are viewing on the internet right well 
I mean, I don't, I don't actually believe in parental controls for, for internet and that kind of thing. What I believe should be a parental control is you should watch these things yeah, with your children. As, as a parent. And then talk about it with them, as opposed to just being like, whatever, you're not allowed to look at these things. Right. And of course, that's the first thing they want to watch, right? right? And, <clears throat> you know, it's important to, I think, as a parent to be involved in, and not that I'm a parent, so I'm... I'm completely speaking with one of these people who doesn't have children and therefore can always talk about how one should raise their children. But, um, but I would, I believe that if, you know, that rather than just putting restrictions, it's important to, to actually engage with your children and have a discussion about it and, and maybe regulate what it is that they're spending their time doing. Well, regulated by by being involved in it, right? Yeah. As opposed to just sitting them in front of the TV and yeah, yeah, yeah. letting them Absolutely. do whatever they want, Absolutely. and then put setting you know parental controls by blocking channels or whatever. Right. right? So anyway, this is really far away. <laughs> now we talked about feminist philosophy and the history of the women's movement, and you know, I don't it's know where funny. we're going. <laughs> we were going to be talking about cool stuff that's coming up in the future. Yeah, I know. I don't know how we talked about. That. I'm sorry. I uh, yeah, honestly, I have no idea how we got on that topic. Well. Okay, so here's some of the cool science-related stuff that's coming up. Cool science. And, and, and so this, this is not... Okay, my, my lead-in, the, the thing that brought me to the first article that I'm going to talk about, is because it, it, it does have a tie into sci-fi and movies, mm. in that, that they actually physically mentioned RoboCop in the title of the article. <laughs> so apparently they have this new headset that... that uh, that a company in Britain, I think it's Britain, is putting out called GoldenEye. Uh, the the product is called GoldenEye. And James Bond. We see, GoldenEye is a James Bond thing, and yet they reference RoboCop because wow. literally, it's 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 like a little headset that you wear has a built-in camera on it. It has a little visor that you can move around, but it's supposed to sit kind of in front of you and right below your eye, so you can look over top of it and still see stuff, but you can just kind of look down and see the screen. And it's, it's main. Right? A heads-up display. Yeah, but a traditional heads-up display is physically broadcast onto a piece of, say, glass. Oh. That's a heads-up display. So in your cockpit, in the, mm-hmm. pi- the pilot sees it literally on the glass and doesn't have to look down at, at the, actual the, the instrument mm-hmm. panel. <clears throat> That's why they came up with a heads-up display in the first place. I think there's only one, um, one uh, model of Mercedes that actually had a built-in heads-up display in Into their the windshield. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of cool. But so this is, it's not quite a heads-up display, it's, it's an image screen, it's a, mm-hmm. uh, a screen, a mini screen that's just held or sits below the level of your eye, so you can just kind of look down into it and it'll give you all sorts of information. And so, this, so this is a commercial product right now? Like it's a commercial this? product mm-hmm. that they're, that's coming out in the market this year. Mm-hmm. It's geared towards, well, really anyone can make use of it, mm-hmm. but they're, they're creating software specifically for law enforcement, mm-hmm. um, you know, fire department, that sort of thing. Can I, can I tell you that I saw a prototype of this, okay. of this heads up, this kind of thing where it comes, that comes over your eye mm-hmm. in 2001 or 2002 okay. when I went to a scientific conference about, Get out. about displays. Yeah. Cause so I like work 10 years I, ago. Yeah. Cause I work in, in this field. And so <clears throat> in display, I did it at that time anyway, in, right. in sort of, uh, displays and various different kinds of things and this was there was a prototype of this there at that at that conference at that conference same thing or something similar to it well th- i mean the same idea not, not necessarily this com- this product okay. but that that same thing about having a little camera and then having a visor that comes right. down and you can look at it the screen in front of your eye i mean they have something yeah. like this built into the pilot's helmet for the apaches the apache oh, yeah. drive the pilot has a screen that sits in front of their eye mm-hmm. with all sorts of information going on so the, the technology certainly has existed but they've micronized it. Like they made it so small that it's comfortable to wear as it's just a thing that goes around your head as if it were headphones. Right. Um, like those wraparound headphones that mm-hmm. go over your ears, similar to that. 
just with a tiny camera and this tiny little arm that comes down and sits in front of you as if it were like uh, headphones with a, a boom mic. Mm -hmm. Same kind of idea except my, a tiny screen. Anyway, and again, I'm going to link the, uh, the article and you can take a look at it. This, these are all from British websites. Cool. So the one that they have, and the actual article has a has an embedded video. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's not obviously not true. It's not active from like a digitized version. But it, it's 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 a mock up of what they want the uh, the unit to be able to do. Mm -hmm. So, but it has like say infrared. Mm -hmm. So the camera is has is an infrared camera. So mm -hmm. you can actually physically see through the wall mm -hmm. using the infrared feature. Mm -hmm. And so they have this little mock-up display of what you see. And of course, you can use it to identify people. Mm -hmm. And you use your eye to select options. Mm -hmm. So it has eye tracking as well, apparently. Mm -hmm. So just very very Wokov, very Minority Report, very old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super space age things. But really kind of cool. And of course, they show um, uh, it can be useful for builders. So you can quickly see what's going on. You can have like a blueprint directly in front of you as you're doing it. I guess it would be more for the people overseeing the workers, but, but still useful in the construction industry, that sort of thing. Totally for engineers. But uh, so how much does it cost, does it say? No, or? they don't because okay. it's not commercially uh, right. available yet, but it hopefully coming out sometime this year. And they say the headset can also be used in the office for helping people organize their day for, you know, it's like a secretary who's, uh, or someone, a receptionist who's directing people to where they have to go can, Whatever. You can use it for many, many things. Cool. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. A transparent computer, uh, basically it's a, it's a screen, but it's it's see-through screen, mm -hmm. and they put it on an, on an angle so you can reach underneath it, mm -hmm. and it becomes a 3D screen. Mm -hmm. And then you can manipulate things on the screen mm -hmm. in 3D by, by moving your hands behind the screen. So it has a camera from up top, mm -hmm. has a camera on the sides, looking at where your, your hands are. Mm -hmm. So you can type on a on a virtual keyboard. Didn't they show this at CES last year? Uh, TED. At TED. Yeah. Oh, they showed this, it at this, TED. This is from this year's TED, actually. Oh, okay. So um, the, the technology evolution and something conference? Design? Design, yeah. Design, yeah. Te yeah. It's, it's a conference that apparently happens either every year or a couple times a year in various places around the world. This yeah. one will happen to be in Vancouver was the latest oh, one. Oh, okay. They have a bunch of talks, but just as a segue, I just want to say, or like a sidebar, mm -hmm. <clears throat> that uh, if you, do you ever read The Onion or watch The Onion? I have in the past right? read so, a lot of Onion. Is the Onion is a, is a news parody kind of mm -hmm. organization, for those who don't know. And they have the funniest um, sort of parody of TED Talks called okay. The Onion Talks. Okay. That are hilarious because <laughs> they're done in the same sort of deadpan, really serious right. All you know the way that it's all done, the way it's set up, the, their sort of reaction shots of the audience, everything is very similar. If you ever watch TED Talks, it's very similar, but their topics are ridiculous. Like one of them was about this woman was very earnestly trying to find the largest rock, and <laughs> she was picked. And it, I mean, it's hilarious because she's on this quest for this rock, and you know, one of them, <clears throat> it, she's pointing to a particular rock that is the biggest rock, and there's very clearly a much larger rock behind her, but she's just completely <laughs> ignoring. Like it's. It's ludicrous, and yet she's so earnest. The way she talks about it, she's like, you know, and she, you know, she does all the little hands and, like, everything. Everything, the gestures. So it's, I mean, it's what, I love the onion in general, but, um, but that in particular is, is like, the, the talks are just so funny. There, there's a couple that, have got, that are not funny and are just, right. 
they kind of fall flat, but most yeah, of them so are pretty. That happens with any comedy, yeah, right? That are pretty good. Like it's, I mean, and especially if you do actually watch TED Talks, it is so <laughs> like them, that, and it just shows how ridiculous the sort of intonation and the way that they talk about things. Right. Because they're like, because you know, they they're very passionate about what they're what it is they're talking about. It's not that so much they're passionate, but they, there's a particular sort of way that they speak at these TED Talks that that has a very it's a particular cadence and mm-hmm. the sort of very earnest. About how they, you know how they're going to save the future, and this is, a, this is an amazing breakthrough, and this is unbelievably important. And, right yeah. for for people who may not know what TED is, that was you just told it. You just said it's technology. Well, I, I told them what the acronym stands oh, okay. for, but it the whole thing is that it's actually not even supposed to be an acronym, even though it actually is an acronym. But they don't want it like they they want it to be a thing of its own. Right. It's it's basically a bunch of like minded people supposedly getting together to help. I want to say save the world, but the, but to help help humanity. Yeah, they have very way. lofty goals yeah. about you know sort of futurism and right. But and, they they know, tend not to have any social commentary and things right. like that. But it's not, but it's not really anything that's workable or usable. It, it's well, it's literally high level thinking. It is high level thinking. It's it's about ideas and design, right? And, and sort of conceptualizing the future and things like that. But very earnest, very earnest in the way they speak. So. Right, so... I kind of talks is what I'm saying. You should check out. <laughs> but so what they're talking about in this article is that because humans deal in three dimensions, mm-hmm. it's hard to translate that onto a screen. Mm-hmm. And even if you had, even if you could, like, say, using 3D glasses, project something yep. in a 3D space in on a computer screen, yep. you still wouldn't be able to interact with it in a, in a, in a physical meaning, meaningful yeah. physical way. Yeah. So what they've done is make your entire world part of your interaction with the computer. The 3D so you're, you're physically looking like you, again, there's a video on the uh, embedded in the article about this. So you're physically reaching through the screen basically, because your hands are underneath where the screen is and you're, 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 it digitizes basically what's going on. So if you want to open a file, you physically like open a file, mm-hmm. uh, like a file folder, mm-hmm. and you dig through it until you find the file you want, and you physically remove that file, mm-hmm. open it up with your hands. Mm-hmm. Like I, as, as I'm talking about this, I'm gesturing, mm-hmm. showing Aisha what I'm talking about, yep. and you're physically reading something mm-hmm. that you've taken from a file folder. So, mm-hmm. conceptually, it sounds really interesting. Well, I mean... But you need a lot of space to be, you know, yeah. in order to be able to do this. It's not like a tiny little desktop area. It's you. You have... A large area of space yeah. that you need in order to, for this to work, and multiple cameras, and a special computer screen. Right. So it's 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 going to be cost prohibitive in the near future. I mean, well, the implication, of course, is that we're going to have cameras everywhere anyway, and so we might as well use them for our benefit as opposed I to just sort of. Don't <clears throat> think that's what they're going for. Well, no, but I mean, this is a very logical sort of extension of that. The, the way, the only way you could make it cost not cost prohibitive is if basically there are cameras all the time anyway. And, and you're it, just utilizing, and it's utilizing them for something else. That now. seems really scary. Well, I mean, think about that's it in terms of, of a Star Trek sort of perspective, where they have the holodeck, right? That, that's basically what they're trying to to describe in a in sort of a more compact form, where you have a three dimensional world that you that is projected from these hollow emitters or whatever they're called from from yeah, Star but, Trek kind of but thing. You're, but you're you're taking it way too far. That's no, I know. not what they're trying to I, do with this. But my, my point is though is that the the idea is that there are these, these these emitting cameras that can do all these things everywhere anyway, and then you can you can have a three D immersive right. world, right? Um, and <clears throat> you know, I, I, well, conceptually, I do think it's kind of cool to go, but it, in some ways, it's, it's almost like a throwback. And it's true that we are three dimensional people, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> but the idea of using, say, a filing system or a virtual world that doesn't involve us physically producing anything. Mm-hmm. 
for most tasks is actually not that problematic. It's only when you need to visualize something in 3D that it becomes important to do right. it. So, for example, um, <clears throat> you know, I work in material science, and one of the things that we, I know, shush, one of the things that we work with are crystal structures. Okay. Right, and we often talk about. I mean, we we conceptualize crystal structures in a three dimensional as a three dimensional object, mm -hmm. but it's very difficult for for students, especially, and even even for me, to sometimes think about what happens to the positions of the the atoms in this lattice as you move it through three dimensions and. You know, for my students, especially if we're designing something, we're going to build something. I always tell them that it's important to make a three-dimensional model for yourself, right. so you can really feel so physically look physically at look it. at it. Right. And and so those are the times when it becomes important. So you know, taking a file out of a file folder, right. it's actually quite easy for us to put that into a into a two-dimensional sure. world. It's when we really need to use the third dimension that it, it becomes important. So in design, so I can imagine it being very useful for people who are designers, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> architects, mm -hmm. people who need to look at three-dimensional things, engineers, mm -hmm. designers, different kind of things, making, you know, making a car rather than making, because, you know, in a car making, for example, they draw things on paper, but before they wow. make it, no, they do, or the computer. Or on the computer, like using they, some sort of AutoCAD. Exactly, they do AutoCAD kind of things, but the last step before you make the production line is to make a model, a physical model, sure. right? Because a physical model tells you so much more than the, than the two-dimensional model sure. can, and so it could eliminate that step, for example, in design process, where instead of having going from a two-dimensional picture, where you you know you sort of drawn it from all these different perspectives, to the physical prototype model, doing that on the computer, which you can do. I mean, there are a number of three-dimensional <clears throat> um, sort of uh, there's Autodesk Inventor, for example, which is an AutoCAD version. How yeah, even Photoshop can make yeah, that's true. You can make three dimensions in Photoshop, sure. Whatever. But even if you're using a more more sophisticated design mm -hmm. software, and there is some some truth to the fact that it's still because it's still on the screen, you don't really get a sense of the three dimensionality of it because you can't hold it, and that's right. why you always make a prototype before you right. make the real thing. Right. And uh, and so I could see it being there, but for the for most people. Aside from the fact that it's really cumbersome and complicated at the moment, there isn't a lot in our day that involves us going into third dimension. Sure. Because, you know, though we live in a three-dimensional world, <clears throat> we're very adapted to two dimensions, and two dimensions mean something to us. You know, we look at pictures, for example, and we have for a long time. Yeah, except and, we, uh, we because because of the way our eyes work, even on a two D picture, we extrapolate the third dimension. Yes, exactly. Your, your our, mind does it. Your mind does it for you. And so, so that's why we can adapt to a two-dimensional two world and right. why most things will make sense in two dimensions. Right. But it will work so much better if it were three-dimensional. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. Do you really find 3D movies more, more it, than a 2D movie? It depends on how the 3D is used. Sometimes three-dimensional movies or movies that are that um, allowed the whole 3D phenomenon mm -hmm. use 3D in a way just to prove they are just to show you how they're using 3D. Yeah. It's not part of the plot. It's not. It's not subtly there. It's in your face there. Yeah. Which well, I don't like about it. I mean, it, it you know, like it throws it, something at your face right, or it does exactly, something like that exactly. to make you duck or whatever. But, right. So they they, they intentionally know. evoke that third dimension, yeah. as opposed to having it grow organically out of the storyline. But what that tells you is that we don't need the third dimension to really conceptualize ourselves. But imagine how much more effective. Watching, say, Harry Potter when, he, when he's uh, playing Quidditch. Right. Imagine that in the third dimension. Imagine well, being able to. It would only. It would only be meaningful to me, and if I was, if I could physically be in the middle of the Quidditch pitch, for example, and turn your head and, and watch. turn your head and watch yeah. it exactly, which is not what you can do with three D. Yet. Yet. Right. But I mean, but that's, that's where you go into the into the sort of virtual reality right. type world. Exactly. But um, but those kinds of of movies 
if, if you were in the middle of the Quidditch pitch, mm-hmm. in order for it to be realistic to you... You'd have to be able to turn to be, your head. Well, not only do you have to be turn your head, but you have to be a part of the story. It has to be more like a video game at that point. It has to be interactive. One of the beauties of watching movies is that you're not, it's not an interactive right. situation. You're watching the story unfold. It's like reading a book, right? You're not in the middle of it, right. regardless of how much you put your... You know, if it's in the first person, you can kind of put yourself into the action, but you're not. I mean, you're always removed from it. Whereas if you're, I mean, that's what's really great about video games, is if you play first-person video games mm-hmm. where, you know, you are, you are one of the characters and right. you're doing things, and right. you're, you know, then, then that three-dimensional environment would be fantastic. And then we go back to the holodeck and exactly <laughs> what that is, right? Which is you put yourself into, the, into the, the action. But for a movie, I would find standing in the middle of the Quidditch pitch, watching, you know, Harry Potter or all of his little, little friends zooming around in front, on top of me or through me or whatever would not actually help me in terms of being a part of the story because physically that's not possible, right? I'm not really there, and if right. I was there, I'd have to be able to affect the environment around me for it to be an effective situation for me. Right. So I find three-dimensional movies in general just very boring. I don't find any any benefit of three-dimension sure. because the whole the whole purpose of a movie is for it for me to be removed from it. So if it's going to come and punch me in the face, if it's not, what is the point of that? <laughs> like, you know, I can't actually be hit by it in the, in, when it comes to where's my head. And I can't affect it in any way. So what is the point of it having this level of this you, level of you're, you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it way too logically and removed from it. When you're actually there in the situation, all of a sudden it's exciting because things are moving around you. Yeah, it's almost and, like you're there. It's it's trying to help you feel that that sense of immersion in the movie. And and I, I mean I understand that, but the thing is, it's not possible for me to be immersed in a situation unless I can interact with it. And therefore, again, you're being way too analytical because it's, it's true. because when you're sitting there enjoying the movie, you're not thinking about how about that, and you're all I of a sudden you throw yourself, okay. Well, then so you apparently are a very boring movie watcher. Well, you have to turn off your mind and just enjoy what they're giving you. That's that. And that's why there are many movies that people go, "Oh my god, it was so terrible." That I enjoy because. I don't, I'm not sitting there thinking about it. Yeah. I'm not sitting there analyzing how the physics are totally Listen, impossible. I, I have a very low threshold for movies. I watch terrible movies all the time. And, and, you know, and I accept them for what they are. Right. But <clears throat> the part that I don't like is, is gimmickry. Right? Right. If you're just doing something for a gimmick's sake. Like if it, if it, I mean, that's what I'm saying is that you know, people are right now really pushing 3D as this next thing in movies. Right, and, and it is. It, that, that is the next step that I movies mean, are going to take. It is, but... Because it, eventually, your, your your TV will be, instead of being on in two dimensions, your TV will be three dimensions. Yes, but it doesn't add anything to this experience. Like, all it does... To me, it has no real value in terms of okay. how it affects the story, unless they're using it in that way. Like, if, if someone could come around and actually make a, a 3D movie that is somehow... That, well, not, it doesn't have to be interactive necessarily, but... That has that uses 3D for what it for what it could be, mm-hmm. as opposed to as a gimmick for well, you know, we ran out of money making 2D movies, and now and we bought all this, we have all this technology that we paid money to make to for, so let's use it, right? Or as a as a gimmick, and right. you see that in in these, especially in animated films, for mm-hmm. example. And I watch, you know, in all honesty, I I do actually see 3D movies. I have seen them more than one, <clears throat> and I find the glasses really uncomfortable, so that's another yeah, problem. Yeah, the glasses are an issue. And I wear glasses all the time, so I have to put them over my glasses. It's a huge pain, but <clears throat> they've gotten better at least. So, I mean, it's not like I don't do the, the, the real the 3D things, but I just don't find them... I don't find that I notice it even. Like, it, it comes to the point where even if they're doing the 3D thing and you can... And I can see that it's 3D it, because it doesn't add anything to the movie. I don't even notice that it's been ha- this happened. Like, I've walked out of a 3D movie not knowing where the 3D parts were right. but afterwards. I think that... See, that would be a good 3D movie. That That is the kind of movie where you're not... 
it's not it's being, not distracted. It's, it's yeah. not it's not in your face. It's not over it. It's very subtle. And that, those are the kind of three D movies I actually enjoy more. Yeah. The kind of movie where uh, something comes flying at you just to show you how cool three D is. Yeah. Those that are, kind those of movie is ridiculous. Like. Yeah. But then, but it just seems pointless to me because you right. know that it's not three D for the whole time, and three D the three Ding of it didn't add anything to the story. So why did you pay so an extra ten dollars yeah, or so seven dollars? What, was, what was the point of me seeing it in three D? And I mean, I saw The Hobbit in three D, for example, and I can't tell you the three D parts of that movie. I have no idea <laughs> what they did in three D and what they didn't. So I spent the whole time just wearing these these uncomfortable glasses, gotcha. watching this movie. So can I get on to my next point now? No. <laughs> How long are we been talking for? By the way, doesn't matter. Excellent. Okay. It's gonna be the it's gonna be the shortest podcast. It's gonna be like the longest one. One, one of the longest ones, only because of your segues. Sorry. <laughs> It's my random asides. I have I have thoughts. I think a lot. Okay, you may have noticed. I think about a lot of things, and I have lots of opinions. So. Nobody cares. Then why are you having the other show if nobody cares? Because there's no one else to talk to. I don't want to just be sitting here talking to myself. Excellent. Thank you. I feel <laughs> no, loved. no, no. Seriously, though, it's because you're in town, and no one else was available. Why? That's why it's just the two of us. Yeah. Otherwise, one of the Pats would be putting in his thoughts. Yeah, and then Pat and I would gang up on you, which is always fun. Yeah, quite possible. Yeah. Okay, so the next little bit, again, this also comes from that same TED um, conference. They're talking about 3D printing is becoming more and more prevalent. Yes, that's pretty cool. So that, but now, even, even though 3D printing is still kind of in its infancy, they're talking about 4D printing. Mm-hmm. And what 4D printing mm-hmm. means is 3D printing plus time. So they're talking about things that will eventually be self-creating. So... Not only self-creating, but but say like an say you go to IKEA, buy a piece of furniture, it gets printed for you in your house, and at the same time puts itself together. Hmm. So they're 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 talking about about well, it wouldn't come in parts if it was printed anyway. So right, exactly. Well, that's the whole thing. Like, like say I, I, like everyone has their own three D printer at home, and all they give you is the template yeah. and like a, a bag full of gel <laughs> from which to create it. Yeah. And then you then go home, and you turn on your 3D printer, and as it's coming out, your thing is also being assembled. Yeah. Well, because it's coming out in fully fully formed form. But that's just it. It doesn't necessarily come out fully formed as as a, a unit, mm-hmm. but it comes out, and then because of the materials they use and, and how they put it together, it then, at, over time, hardens or solidifies or whatever into a shape. That's what they're talking about specifically here. So they're talking about using different types of polymers mm-hmm. in such a way so that when you put it in water, it creates a shape. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, it interacts mm-hmm. basically with its environment yep. and over time turns from something into something else. That wouldn't be very practical for most things I have to tell you, but quite possibly not. But again, these are, these are things yeah, that are very, very conceptual, far reaching. So what, what, what they're talking about specifically in this, and again, there'll be a link to it, to the actual article, um, a very cool video about this, um, I don't even know how to put it, like um, a length of material mm-hmm. that they put into water and, and you watch it. Yeah, then. they're called shape memory metals. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it was metal. I think it was some sort of polymer. Well, but, but they can also be shape memory polymers sure. or different kinds of materials. But, but that, that's the kind of thing they're talking yeah. about. I mean, those things have been around for quite a while. And, um, and it's entirely possible to do that. And the reason they're called shape memory is mm-hmm. because you make them in one particular form and then you change that form, but it remembers that previous form. And so if you change the temperature, mm-hmm. for example, it, it goes, it goes back. back into that original form. But imagine that being printed now. 
Yeah, but it's not. It's entirely possible. I mean, you could just as easily have printed it before. It's just you couldn't get it in your own home. It's because we don't have three D printers. Right, but, but again, this yeah. is the the technology for three D printing is in its infancy. It is. Though... And eventually, things are going to get far cheaper and far more. And the, the, one of the problems with three D printing right now is that you can't make it finely detailed. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that, that will also change. That will definitely change. The, the, the point size of the printer will, will definitely go down. Mm -hmm. The bigger problem, really, is that the number of, of materials that you can use for 3D printing is limited. Right. And you can really only use plastics. And plastics are, are you know, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't often think about plastics when we think about the sort of the oil crisis. But where do you think plastic comes from? Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's one of these things that is, uh, that we, we talk about how, you know, revolutionary things are going to be in the world in the future. And one of the, one of the, the requirements is that we have these materials that can do these things. Right. But things like plastics are actually <clears throat> something that is so cheap because we have so much oil right now mm. and because it's in, in such abundance. And, mm. you know, as we, as we move towards other things, plastic is also something that we should really be thinking about and very people about moving about away it. from moving away from plastic. Right. Exactly. Or cause it'll just go up in price right. quite, quite a lot. But hopefully in the future, they'll also find a way to take the plastic we've already created and do something with it, as opposed to living it in landfill somewhere. Yes. I mean, that, that's always the, the goal, right, is to, is to somehow recycle this plastic. And right. that's one, one positive thing, is that you, know, you can recycle plastic to, to a certain extent into various forms. And I don't, but, but it's possible. It's possible to do it. People do it. I don't do it either. I don't physically recycle anything myself. Though I could, I guess. I have, I have a furnace. I have, you know, I have all sorts of possibilities of doing these things. No, I'm not saying like physically, literally physically. Oh, you don't actually recycle at all? I don't recycle, oh, so you're a bad person. <laughs> no, now I'm ashamed. I work in alternative energies and I'm like all green and all the time and I can't even get my family to recycle. <laughs> I'm a failure. Although I'll have you know that I will be recycling cardboard tomorrow. Because tomorrow's our, our trash day. You, but you could burn cardboard, you know? It's like... a cardboard cycle. <laughs> but that would be releasing... CFCs into the atmosphere, I sure wouldn't it? Well, it depends on the cardboard, but... Anyway, <laughs> none, definitely none, carbon dioxide. none of this is re relevant, and this is on. <laughs> so, the next article I have is, again, also about 3D printing, but, and you know how we were talking about using plastics in 3D printing? Yeah. Well, now they're talking about using organic materials. Organic materials are plastics. What do you mean? Oh, uh, car carbon-based? Yes, that's, that, what that, that's, organic? that's what organic means. Right, fair Do they mean biological? Like they, they do, things? Okay. they do. They're, they're they talking those, about actually. printing human cells to grow an artificial earlobe. Yeah, but that, that's, that's actually not new in any way. But it's fascinating. It is fascinating. But people have been printing, like, they, they've developed inkjet printers for, for cells and for inks and for different kinds of, of organic, organic or carbon-based or living right. or any of those kind of things, systems a long time ago, where you can, <clears throat> you can print out, you know, like, organic light-emitting diodes, for example, with an inkjet printer. Inkjet printer. Yeah, well, it's formerly it's specially formulated inkjet printer, okay, but okay. but basically, I mean, I saw. So my Epson at home. If you you know if you replace the the ink cartridge with the cartridge of of a dye that's semiconducting, mm -hmm. then you can print out things from that. You know, you have to you have to make slight modifications to the nozzle right. because the I mean those are specially designed for the kind of inks that that are used for printing right. or for, you know for for producing paper and stuff, right? Producing written works, right? <clears throat> and. You know, because the viscosity is different, and, right. you know, all the properties are different. You have to do things with the nozzle, but but I did see many articles where people just buy a commercial printer, mm -hmm. change the print heads a little bit, and then use it to print out <clears throat> displays or print out these kind of sensors or print out. Really? Yeah, totally. that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. These things have been happening for quite a while. 
Okay, so apparently, anyway, bioengineers mm -hmm. using 3D printing to achieve breakthrough in prosthetics by creating the first artificial ears that look and act like real ones. Yeah, because they use real cells yeah. on a scaffold. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's, that, why are you not more excited <laughs> about this? This is fantastical. Well, it's this, is, this is Star Trek, I said. <laughs> it's a replicator, yeah. No, I mean, it is, it is amazing. This is Star Trek. It's amazing, and I think it's really cool, but... I mean, it's not it's not news for me because okay, I've known about this for a long time. Fine, but um, but I do think it's cool. Like, I mean, I you know, and I think these kinds of things are actually one of the great things about being in science. Yeah. And you get to see these things. And I mean, we have a three D printer, a very cheap three D printer that we use at the uh, at, at the lab in my <clears throat> at my university. I I know someone on Kickstarter who was uh, doing a Kickstarter to to produce a mass produced, cheap, readily purchasable 3D printer. Yeah, but you could you could put money into it and get one for like $250. Yeah, but that already exists. Yeah. You know, the one the one that, that we have at the university that is designed so that you you basically buy the metal parts right. and you you buy one printer complete mm -hmm. and then you use that printer to make other printers. Nice. Where all you do is you buy the like the metal parts that you can't print out and right. all the rest of it is made up of, of the plastic parts that are printed by the original 3D right. printer that you bought. Right. And so, you know, and, and I think they must cost like a thousand dollars or something right. like that. But I mean, that's so. This is this is a Kickstarter to make one that's readily that's even more cheap, that's cheaper, yeah, but accessible <clears throat> by the regular population. I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are kits that I mean, they make little ones. We can't sure. make anything grandiose, but it's not like what they showed on on the Big Bang Theory, where he paid ten thousand dollars for that that printer. I don't that remember that episode. Oh, he tried. They were trying to print out figurines of themselves of Raj and. Was this on the last well, last last? Oh yeah, you don't watch TV. Yeah, so, yeah. So in this season. Okay, I, I will see in the future yes. once it's finally released. But there, an there episode was, of the Big Bang Theory. Where they use a three D printer. Where they use a three D printer. And it's it's. I mean, they do it to print out little figurines of yeah. themselves. And well, that's that's, hilarious. that's kind of what the Kickstarter would. Yeah. What the Kickstarter. 3D printer would have been used for is to make things like that. To make war, war game things. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we, the, the the stuff I hear about or, or, or I'm, I'm not subjected to, but uh, what's the word? Um, <laughs> it depends. What are you trying to say? Um, exposed to? Yes, exposed to. Is gaming. Is relatively, usually gaming related or sometimes like these articles, science related. I mean, the one thing that I, that I you know, I hope it doesn't go to that way is those miniatures are extreme works of craftsmanship. Like, they're unbelievable. Yeah, the problem is, the problem yeah. with 3D printers right now is they can't get the detail. Yeah. But even if they could get that level of detail, you know, the the amount of... of maybe, I guess, I guess the designer is still designing it, so mm. there's still that that part of it. But it, it sort of takes away from, from that craftsmanship. You know, one of the, the things that people who enjoy miniatures enjoy, from what I understand, is that they're incredibly it's the, detailed. The fine level of detail, absolutely. And they, and they paint them themselves usually. Yeah, I've got my right. uh, black templar army just waiting. You know, and and those that that the, the joy that that brings you to see the amount of detail and to use to spend all this time mm -hmm. making it is sometimes lost. It would be lost if you could print out a fully formed figure. No, but you would you still know? then have to spend the time to print it. Well, you would now, it. but in, in, if you're going to the extremes of where it's at that level of fine oh, I see. detail, where it probably, also comes pre-painted, it'll probably come pre-colored, pre and then you just print it out in. in Perfect form, and then it sort of takes away from that, that from the way. level of enjoyment that one gets out of these, these situations. But having said that, I'm playing a game right now called um, it's the X-wing board game from right. Fantasy Five Games. Mm -hmm. All of the pieces that I buy are painted, are come pre-painted, and they look pretty cool, and they're incredible. I mean, did you? I was there. Get, yeah, you, you were there when I picked up the latest package. So, Wave Two has been released. So the A-Wing, the TIE Interceptor, the Slave One model, and the Millennium Falcon are now available. And um, I got my copies 
as I picked them up finally from the, uh, the post office yesterday. And they are of incredible detail. Uh, I didn't hear that. <laughs> okay, so next up. This is like the longest podcast I know, of all time. I know, but it's all because I, like, I have a month's worth of cool news articles that I was going to talk about on the podcast, but haven't been able to because we haven't been able to all get together. I'm sorry I keep segueing into or having asides into different topics. So, okay, you weren't impressed by the 3D printed No, I am impressed. I'm just, you know, I just think that it's, it's not that new, I guess, is, okay. is my... How about the world's first bionic hand that can actually feel, that's sensitive enough that you could pick up eggs with it? Is that impressive to you? Uh, <laughs> well, because I regularly show my class these pictures about you know what's happening in sensing and what's happening in okay. the future of, of everything. Because that's what I mean. This is part of what I work in. So, but it but also cool. it also has the it gives the user the ability to actually feel things through its fingers. Oh, that's cool. So it actually that's hooks cool. up to the user's uh, nervous system mm-hmm. and sends back responses that the brain oh, is able to cool. interpret. That's and, cool. Yeah, it gives the recipient, I'm now reading it from the article itself, to feel a lifelike sensation to the transplant to be the, a bionic hand which allows the recipient to feel lifelike sensations is to be transplanted onto a patient's arm for the first time. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, up until now, artificial limbs have been able to pick up brain signals designed for yep. the absent hand and translate them into movement but could not get back sensory detail. Yes, that's very true. Which is now what they've been able to accomplish. See, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. I do so think that's that the first step into cybernetics. Yes, we will all become cyborgs. I cannot wait for. Well, no. If, if you become a cyborg, that implies that you've lost some portion of your body. Which of your is, humanity, yes. No, 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 not of your humanity, of your actual body. Like, physically, you've lost something, which is, which or, is problematic. Or intentionally chop. You, you know, like, chop your leg off to replace it with a bionic leg. Leg? No, because that wouldn't give me any, any use out of like, it. You know what I mean. Like, what would you chop off your arm for any reason? I might. <laughs> Depends on oh, which no, you're, you're, one of, you're one of those like crazy people who. I'm not. I'm, listen, you're, you're I'm, not, I'm not into weird body modification. Modifi- oh my god! Yes. Yeah, so why can't I say that word? No, no, no body. Because there's also body morphism. Body, that, that's actually the one I was going for. Body morphism. I'm not, I'm not into that at all. Like I at one point when I was 18, I had a pierced ear, and I have some tattoos. <laughs> But that's the extent of it. I mean, I have not done any more to my body than that. But, but, I mean, no, there, intentionally. There is, there is a mental illness where people yeah. really believe that they, they, you know, somebody's attached their arm, like they've attached a phantom arm to them or somebody else's right. arm to their body and they intentionally get cut off their limbs. And yeah, but those like people are crazy. They are crazy, yes. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a mix-up in brain chemistry. So right? I'm just saying that if you deliberately chop off your arm to replace it with a, with a metal one, you are also crazy. I don't think that's all, all true. <laughs> Depends on what... Uh, what, what, anyway. If you see Deborah chopping off his arm and replacing it with a metal one, please call me immediately. That's all I'm saying. Pat, I'm reaching out to you. Yeah, that won't help. Uh, they're not, Pat, not listening. Because Pat doesn't listen to the show. Right. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners of the show, Tara. Mike, somebody, please call Mike's, me. Mike's in Afghanistan. He can do nothing. Just, just tell, tell me if he replaces his, his arm with something metal. It's all I'm saying. It's a cry for help, okay? I would, however, I'm, I'm nearsighted, and I haven't gone to the lengths of getting laser eye surgery to get my eyes corrected, but if I had the option of removing my eyeball and replacing it with a cybernetic one that would work and also have a heads-up display, I'd do it in an instant. You're a Borg. Congratulations. And if, if I could have an implanted cell phone rather than one I have to carry around with me, I would do it in an instant. 
Your next, you're going to be one of these people who wants their passport chip like embedded in their neck. That, that one I don't because there's a there's a problem with your passport chip, and that's like the first step to a faceless, nameless society, and it's a very very slippery slope from there. So that I'm actually well, kind of against. I, if you want your cell phone invent, in, implanted, it's not very much further to do any of these true. other things. I guess that's I mean, true. As long as as soon as you start, in, in okay. How about just an MP3? I just want an MP3 player. <laughs> MP3 player embedded in your skull. Embedded, yeah, so that it. It, uh, do it, not do, do it not enjoy direct. headphones. Like what's the problem? I don't. I hate headphones. Nice. Absolutely. Although they they do have one positive um, effect in that they drown out the fucking noise from the people around me. So in that way, it's good, especially when I'm at, at work because there there are people in my the place yeah. where I'm working right now who are government employees. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put out the there. Government employees, in air quotes. They're government and, employees. Yes, <laughs> and, and that pretty much says everything that needs to be said about them. Listen, we, you live in Ottawa. Lots of people are government employees. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, most and so of are you, to a certain extent. I'm not. Well, I, I'm a government contractor. Yeah. As a government contractor, I, I need to work at a, uh, at a rate that is conducive to getting things done. Anyway, as government let's, employees, let's not, let's they not don't. Let's, and not, I, let's not segue into some. And people around me employees. are constantly talking about hockey or whatever. Usually it's hockey because there's this one guy who just all he talks about is hockey. And he visits from one cube to another. Instead of doing real work, he just visits different cubes talking about hockey. Are you sure he's not the manager? No, he's not. He's, he's very much a plea. No, no, I'm just kidding. But okay, no so, diatribe about government employees. This is Ottawa. That, I'm just saying that's the one benefit of, of earphones. However, if I could have my MP3 player implanted in my head so that I wouldn't have to carry it around with me and forget it somewhere and lose it, so it's just always there, I would do that in an instant. Like an LCD screen in, in, the, in the inside of my arm, i do that no Why problem. don't you just put it on your clothes? Like, does it have to be in your body? Wow, it's cooler if it's in your body. No, it's not. It's creepy and weird if it's in your body because then you're a cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, Who doesn't I, want to be a cyborg? Well, me, and I would like to take these things off periodically. <laughs> I'm sure you can still have it removed from your body. It's just little day surgery. I, I'm pretty sure that I don't really want to be having a screen on my arm. But how cool would it be? To... Sex. Like, that's just not something that you I You don't want. know that. I don't want that. <laughs> telling you. Anybody's watching porn on their arm during sex is going to be problematic. I didn't say... <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. But my point is, is, I would prefer it to be on my clothing, for example. Sure. And that is totally possible. Yeah. <clears throat> Actually, um, I was reading somewhere. I don't have it in my list of things to talk about, but... Uh, because they're coming up with these new flexible LCD screens yes. where you can physically take your, your monitor it's and not, roll it up into a tube and carry it with you wherever you're going. It's not LCD. <clears throat> well, whatever. It's it's it's, it's OLED. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So but this, still. This is, again, this is the stuff I work with. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot about these things. <laughs> but in, uh, and, and like a cell phone that yep. literally is just a flap of... Yep. Of, of plastic. A plastic basically. that you fold up and put in your pocket. Yeah. Yep. That is, I think, incredible. It's still a little ways away. I mean, right now the you know if you look in the Samsung tab that has that has an OLED screen, for example. So this is organic light emitting diodes, which are made out of plastics. <clears throat> um, they they have it, the screen itself is actually flexible, and you can bend it and everything while it's working. Right. But it's inside a rigid case because we're used to rigid cased um, phones. Right. And, but in the future. Yeah. Well, possibly. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's all about what people are are expecting and used to. I think. It's unlikely that you would want a flexible display that you would put in your pocket. It'd be more likely that you'd want a flexible display that's on, say, your backpack or on your coat or something like that. Sure. As opposed to something you put in your pocket. Because, I mean, there's a reason why cell phones, <clears throat> and in fact, you, you even, I'm looking at your cell phone, have a case around it. 
to protect it. You know, things that you put in your I pocket. Have a, I have a case around my cell phone because it's got Han Solo oh, got frozen Han Solo. And, okay. and carbonite in Fine. the back. But, That's the only reason I have this case. Okay, but, but one could, one, and typically Sorry. people do this to protect these things because they're, you know, and if it was a plastic screen that you put in your pocket, the, the likelihood of, of damage to it is quite high. So, you know, it's not the best use of your, <clears throat> of that technology. Right. But, but it is pretty cool. And that's something that I've, you know, when I was first starting my PhD, the, the example that we would always give of why people would be interested in this type of technology, these flexible display technologies, mm-hmm. was a, a, a pen that was a computer, basically, right? Like you could pull out the screen from the pen, use it for whatever you're using it for, put it back in the pen and then right. put it in your pocket. Right. Like that was the sort of, the, the holy grail that was only conceptual at the time. And, and that sounds incredible. Well, and, but I can tell you that right now, <clears throat> in uh, 2000 and... 12, I think, or 2000, maybe 2010, in the uh, Computer Electronics Show, mm-hmm. Sony showed their um, <clears throat> their incredibly high. Uh, <clears throat> um, oh, now I forgot what it was called, but the the bend, high bend ratio, excuse me, high bend ratio screen, f- three color that can wrap around basically a, a bar that's the size of a pencil, okay. and they can you know while it's running they furl it and unfurl it and sort of like roll it up and unfurl it. And it's still working. And it's still working. It's working while it does this. And it's around a pencil. And so they have extremely high band ratios with total functionality without any loss of properties. Cool. And that's, I mean, there's no commercial product yet, but it it has been shown to exist and works works really well uh, and could make that, that, Sort of uh, that, that pen pen based computer <laughs> a reality, you know. And, if, and now with touch screens, it's even more possible, right? And this is this is this is the kind of things that people are thinking about. And so, you know, within ten years, basically. So that's the length of time between, you know, when I was showing that off as a, as the newest thing, mm-hmm. the possible the possible future, and and now it's it's a reality, basically. So it's pretty cool. Okay, last one. <laughs> And this, I think, actually, is the coolest set of all. All right. Let's hear it. Brown University develops the first wireless remote for controlling robots with your brain. Oh, that is cool. So, basically, it's implanted. Uh, <sighs> Once again, implanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, they have to, though. They have to access your brain yeah. through these implants. And this is mainly geared towards people who are paraplegic, yeah. quadriplegic, yeah, yeah. or like Stephen Hawking's muscular dystrophy, that sort of thing. Um, is that what he has? I don't know if it's MS. It's uh, Lou Gehrig's is what he has, actually. Is he Lou Gehrig's? Yeah, he has Lou Gehrig's. So basically, it's uh, a small box that acts as the controller, and I guess they either bolt it onto your head Mm -hmm. or somehow put it near your body. Mm -hmm. And then it has wires that go, are directly embedded into your brain. Mm -hmm. And then you use that to physically interact wirelessly Mm -hmm. with other so-equipped uh, machinery, mm-hmm. so you can, you can that enables you to feed yourself, yeah. enables you to clothe yourself, That's pretty cool. enables you to uh, at least in some in some way function as a in, in normal society without requiring someone else to actually like be a there. caretaker, right? So you're you're able to look after yourself through the use of machinery. Well, I mean, you do have a caretaker; it's just a right. robotic caretaker. But, but instead of it being <laughs> a person yeah. who's yeah. who's at your beck and call twenty four hours a day, who then cannot have a life of their own. Yeah. It's a robot. It's, 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 for you, it's, which is it's cool. yeah. So you basically you're just your control, and and the most important thing is your controlling yes, actions. Yes, that's the most important thing, definitely. So you're taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. It gives you a kind of a semblance of, of self, as opposed to being well, some, something that has to be taken care of. Yeah. Well, it's independence, yeah. right? It gives you a sense of independence, and I think that's that that kind of thing is amazing. I think things with the you know so the technological gadgets I think are cool, mm-hmm. 
but I work with those all, all the time, so they're not that surprising to me. Right. Whereas the stuff that has to do with your brain, I think that's fascinating because the brain is something that is amazing and evolved over, you know, <clears throat> millions of years of evolution into the amazing thing that it is now. And yet we have no idea how it works, really. You know, all the stuff that, that people talk about, their, the depth of knowledge of the human body, the brain is hugely mysterious to us even still. Yeah. And that, I think, is that's why anything that, that helps, especially that helps people regain some kind of sense of control of their body, because mm-hmm. part of it is their brain or their body is betraying them. Right. And being able to fix that, that betrayal, I think, is, is absolutely fantastic. I think that people who work in, <clears throat> in those, those kinds of bridging fields where it's, you know, <clears throat> sort of using all the stuff that we learn about microelectronics and using it for, for health, so all these sort of bio-related bio people are actually doing the coolest things of, of all. I thought you were going to say they're doing God's work. <laughs> I would never say they're doing God's work. <laughs> so, oh my God would, would approve of that kind of thing. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Isn't your God science? My God is science. Yeah. Don't, don't you worship at the, at the altar of science, technology? Uh, well, I do, but I also don't think it's a panacea. And I think that, I think that the problem that one runs into if, they, if you you know, are worshipping at science's altar. I was just joking, by I know. the way. But if, but this I mean, is a serious conversation. Well, but I will make it serious <laughs> for a second. Oh, son of a bitch. No, you, you can't start these kind of conversations. Listen, I'm used to making little flippant comments. <laughs> but let me just, I just say <laughs> one thing. They're funny, and that's it. It is funny, but I would, I would just make one statement about science being, uh, being God, is that mm. I think there's a lot of things that we don't know and um, <clears throat> that we haven't understood yet. So I do believe in, in ultimately that we will be able to explain them all, which is why you know I'm a scientist really. But but to say that that we are at that point now is is oh, quite presumptuous, right? We don't. There's a lot we don't know. And there's a lot we can't explain, and you know, and in years and historically, when we couldn't explain things, we attribute them to God. That's sure. that's kind of how it works. So mysterious things are are from are basically from God. But the whole point of science is to explain things. Right? Yes. It's to explain the environment around you. The yeah. whole reason we have science is so we don't. Say, oh, it, this happens because some mystical being yeah, exactly. says yes. So we can we can actually describe why things occur. The way and they speaking do. of which, mm-hmm. and and this is actually a, an interesting segue because it ties to God. Perfect. Let's talk about the Higgs boson. Oh, the Higgs boson. <laughs> Good times. You and you're, I think, the perfect person to have do this talk because ah. I know nothing about particle physics. Well, I'm not a particle physicist, so my knowledge of particle physics extends basically to, you know, the fact that I enjoy science. And so I know yeah, something about physics. you watch the Big Bang Theory. I do watch the Big Bang Theory, <laughs> but that's beside the point. But they're not really particle physicists either, are they? They're well, theoretical physicists. No, but... Um, they don't do particles. I think Leonard is, is an experimental physicist. They right. never say what kind of experiments sure. he does, but the kinds of things he works in... in it means he's sort of, he's kind of an, an all-purpose experimental physicist, which okay. is not possible. But, uh, <laughs> but he does, I mean, like Raj, for example, is clearly an astronomer. So he does planetary right. science, and right. that kind of thing. Whereas the stuff that... And poor Leonard, the engineer. No, no, that's, no, Wal- that's Wallowitz. Uh, Wallowitz, yeah. Wallowitz, the engineer. Though yeah. <clears throat> yeah. no, I take exception I take to that because <laughs> I am an engineer, obviously, and I have my PhD, thank you very much. Yeah, and, right. uh, you, you don't <laughs> just have a master's. I don't have a master's in engineering, and it's unlikely that he... like. Their, their jobs at the university are all very surprising to me because they, they don't, they're not really professors, any of them, and yet right, somehow they're all there. Not one of them teaches. No, and they, but they don't have a supervisor of any kind that they, you know of. Well, especially not... Uh, kind of the dean, or what, what, what's his role? I I mean, they they call the him the dean, dean, but... Do they? I think they do, but he's whatever. He's the kind of... I mean, but this is not a structure that exists at any university. Right. If, this was a, if they called it a research uh, 
you know, like a research lab or something like that. But even it if it were, more sense. even if it were a research lab, I can't believe we're dissecting <laughs> the Big Bang Theory right now. But even if it were a research lab, they would still have a supervisor. They, they would. That they, they would. That they, they wouldn't have the same supervisor. No, and and it and it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the way to do right, this. But right. so I mean. But all that said, a guy with a master's of engineering wouldn't be doing the kind of things that he's doing at the university forever. But anyway. Um, but I do think that, uh, that Leonard is, could be either a particle physicist or a condensed matter physicist. Like, he does experimental physics in, the, in a realm that, uh, that could encompass those things. Right. And he does talk, he did talk about going to the super collider. The, he did the not hydro-expanding super collider insert, is that what it's called? <laughs> The Large Hadron Collider. The Large Hadron Super Collider? He, do, he does this just to bother me because I we had an entire, I think it was 20 minutes or 25 minutes at one dinner when I went oh, my I'm parents sure. were here. I'm sure. Where we had this argument where I was trying to convince you not to call it a Super Collider and the parents and everybody's laughing at me right. and te- like taunting me basically with the Super Collider business and you know, I'm not going to be baited on the show is all I'm saying. It's called the Large Hadron Collider. And we'll just leave it at that. And we'll leave it at that. But they used it to now officially prove, is it? Is it official? Have they officially said, yes, we have discovered the Higgs boson? That was my understanding. I have to... I didn't look it up before we came on air, when I probably right. should have. But, um, but, I mean, you know, in, <clears throat> in the fall, they had, they had found a Higgs-like... Uh, or Higgs boson... The Higgs-like boson. And, um, and they were close to claiming that it was really the Higgs boson. But the recent thing that I heard is that they had, in fact, confirmed that it was really... That what they're seeing is in fact the Higgs boson. Okay. And uh, so, why don't you explain to those of us who aren't particle physicists oh or, or involved in physics in any way oh, no, what in exactly a Higgs boson is and why it's important? Well, the re- what the Higgs boson basically is is uh, <clears throat> there's something called the oh I don't remember all the terminology appropriately, but it's basically the particle farm. And the hell does that even mean? So there there are a number of fundamental particle leptons and bosons that exist <clears throat> that make up. Um, you know, that are like quarks and electrons and neutrons and these kind of things that make up matter, right? And of, <clears throat> and of all of these particles, all of them are, that are predicted by sort of modern particle theory, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a, a sort of a table of all these different kinds that have different masses and different spins and different charges. So this is different than the periodic table of elements? Yes. The periodic table of elements is made up of these particles. I so see. different combinations of all of these different kinds of particles make up, make up all the elements that we know and all matter that we can speak of. That's my understanding of science, is that periodic table, periodic table. Of, of, of elements. So, <clears throat> I mean, you know, the word atom comes from, uh, is a, it's sort of a Greek coining. That it's the smallest particle they could think of. It's the smallest particle possible, is what it means. Really. But it's not, of course. So right. atoms are made up of, of a bunch of other particles. <clears throat> and the smallest of these is the quark. But, uh, but there are other ones, right? And so there, there are ones with mass and ones without mass. How can you have a particle without mass? Well, like photons are particles without mass, I for see. example, right? So, <clears throat> so you can have massless particles. And there's been a number of, uh, <clears throat> I mean, the way that particle physics has explained the sort of the whole farm of particles, they've, uh, they've categorized them into different sort of categories. And the one that was missing of all of these that they'd never been able to, to find experimentally was the Higgs boson. It was, propo- it was a proposed particle by, by Higgs, <clears throat> obviously. And by his good buddy Boson? No, no, Boson is the type of particle that it is. <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
it's not the Higgs and boson. No, no, it's not the Higgs and boson. It's a Higgs boson. Okay. So and and it's been called the God God right. particle. And, and why do they call it that? I'm not exactly sure why they call it the God particle, but it's basically a particle that is uh, that's a massless particle that has to do with gravity. It's a gravity-based particle. But it's massless. It's massless, yeah. So how could it have anything to do with gravity if it doesn't have mass? Well, see, this is part of part why we can't really find it. <laughs> this is why it's been a very very challenging particle to 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 describe. How do you find something that doesn't have mass? Well, by basically by, by interacting with other particles. Yeah, by, so they, the, the way they're, they're trying to find it is, you know, you you cause two uh, two atoms to smash together, mm-hmm. and the leftover everything that comes off of it has these different signatures, and from the energy signatures, you can determine what kind of particle it is and what mass it has, and all these kind of things, because mass and energy are related. Right. right? So then, that's why we call them massless. But if it they have, have a energy. mass, then it should have no energy effects. No, no. How but, can you have one without the other? Well, this this is the point: is that. At the speed of light, energy and mass are the same. Mm-hmm. But anywhere around, other than the speed of light, <clears throat> you don't have you have either mass or you have energy. And um, so it doesn't have mass, but it has energy. Yes, exactly. Oh, I see. So you can measure its energy signature, okay. and that you know, and this is this co- all all stuff comes back to the, the wave particle duality of these kinds of things where wave particle know, duality. Well, yeah, because sometimes it's a, we call it a particle, but it's but particles obviously have mass and they act in, in a sort of in a classical Newtonian sort of way. And, and what, would, what, would be, what would that Newtonian sort of way be? How does it react? How, does it... How do mass, mass particles react with one yes. another? Well, the, the best... So by Newtonian, you're talking about equal opposite reaction? Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and that they would follow, that when they hit each other, they would bounce off each other, for example, and right. things like that. And, and that would be and a predictable have... and, yeah, and exactly. definable right. way. Or, exactly. So like, if it had a certain angle, then ricochet. Deflect, exactly, it would deflect at different angles. So these are all sort of Newtonian driven <clears> systems. And then, then they have wave-like properties where they, <clears throat> where they don't, where you know, for example, the best is the is the double slit experiment, where if you're looking at the particle, and it goes through one of these slits, it'll act like it's just a particle, mm-hmm. and it will not diffract. But if you don't look at it, then it it'll diffract off other off the slits and then form uh, diffraction patterns on the surface. Which, if you think about <laughs> it logically, makes absolutely no sense. No, How does your viewing of it affect? Anything. Well, the reason it does is because when you look at it, or when you, when you, I mean, you have to interact with it to look at it because you have to measure something, energy or mass or whatever. But in order to do that, you have to somehow physically <clears throat> put energy in to, to see the energy out. Oh, I see. So that. Right? So you physically okay. change okay. the nature of it when you look at it. And so if you you're, look you're, at you're it. You're not physically saying, look at it. Like, no, no. Like it course. passes in front of your eye. It happens to, if it happens to pass in front of your eyeball, boom, particle. <laughs> yeah, it if is. it just misses your eyeball, it goes a little above your eye, boom, no, wave, wave pattern. Yeah, I mean, when we talk, okay, when we not, talk about looking at it, not what you're talking we, about. we just mean that you observe it in some way. Which but you are interacting with you're it. You're interacting with okay, it. Okay, so you're affecting yeah. how it works. Okay, well, well, so I mean, that's completely different than how you were explaining it yeah, before. Yeah, but, no, no, but, but when we look at things, that is also interacting with it. Like, our ability to see things means that light has to enter our eyes. Mm-hmm. If light enters our eyes, we're interacting with it. You can't, that's why you can't see anything when your eyes are closed, because light can't come into your eyes, right? But, okay. And so you're... Hold on, no, hold on. Let, let's, let's take it to the next step. Sure. If the particle is passing in front of my eye, but my yeah. eye happens to be closed, is it a wave? Yes. No! Yes. Because the light that bounced off it to go into my eye would still bounce off it. It just wouldn't go into my eye. Well, but I didn't, I didn't do anything to it. It still has the exact same effect it would have had the, 
had I had my eye open. But you're saying, well, interactively. That's crazy. Well, that's the, crazy. The, Do you not get how crazy this is? Well, it just means that we don't understand. Like, uh, at our level of understanding, we understand particles and we understand waves. I see. These things are neither particles nor waves. But in order to describe their properties, in somewhere in between. Okay. And so, to, in order to describe their properties, sometimes we call them particles, and sometimes we call them waves. Okay. And there's a large branch so it's of science. only because we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Exactly. There's okay. a large range of science that's trying to figure out what it, what the real answer is, okay. and I'm not one of those scientists. Right. I don't. I don't. I have. That I'm, would be a particle physicist. That is something that particle physicists work on, but it's it's more called the grand unified theory, where they're trying to unify all the forces of of <clears throat> of, of the world um, that allows one to. Uh, to describe fully the nature of, say, particles, these kinds of, well, what we call particles. And, um, and I'm of the, of the branch of science that believes that the, you know, <clears throat> not a branch of science, but sort of my philosophy of science is that wave-particle duality is fine because it helps us explain how these things actually work. Right. And I, I care about the explanations. I don't really care about the, <clears throat> the, the truth, quote-unquote truth, at the, okay. at the base of it. As long as you can use it in some meaningful exactly. way, that's all that matters. Exactly. So, okay. but, <clears throat> and so the, the, the sort of Particle farm is, is one of these descriptions of the world. And the part that was missing was the Higgs boson because right. it's a predicted particle, but it doesn't, we haven't been able to see it experimentally. Okay. So, in order to sort of prove that, this, that the particle view of the world, so, this quant- so basically quantum physics, that quantum physics is true, <clears throat> or true, quote <laughs> true, because nothing is true in science, but that that theory is, is actually uh, valid. Provable. Valid at this point is if we could find this particle. Okay. Even if we could never find this particle, the, because the rest of it supports it, we, we are pretty confident that this is really true. That the particle does exist. That the particle does okay. exist. We just are not capable of finding it at this okay. moment. And but now they've gone but ahead now and they've, found but it. But now they found it. And, okay. and, and it does, and, you know, its existence proves this, this particle farm theory, that really these are the particles that exist in the world, okay. that we do have some understanding of how how particles interact with one another to form other kinds of energy in the world. Okay. And... and, and and because of that, it proves, and again, in air quotes, yeah. the theory. Exactly. Okay. So the fact that they found it means that it gives even the, more the, support. The theory is valid. The, the theory is, that the theory is, okay. is valid and is, and is useful okay. and predictable. And, I mean, the reason they call it the God, I used to know this actually, why they called it the God particle, but the, <clears throat> the, uh, the implication is that the only time that this particle was in abundance was during the Big Bang. Oh, right. right? So at that's the, where... At the creation. At the creation, okay. right? And, and because we're so far away from that point now, all of the, those particles are gone. Right, it's hard, and hard. They're hard, they're hard to find. Okay. So it's, now we're just creating them. Well, and you create them for a very, very short amount of time, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to see them, and this is why they're, it took them so much... With so much energy and so much... <clears throat> I mean, the reason the CERN collider is so large is because it needs to... It, I mean, in order for it to get to the speeds that it needs to get to, it has to, to travel on a really immense um, <clears throat> radius, which is, I think, it's 21 kilometers okay. across. Oh, so the diameter is 21 kilometers. So <clears throat> the diameter. Yeah. Of, of, of the loop? Of the loop. Okay. Yeah. Not the diameter of the tube they use. No, no, no. Okay. No. I mean, that's ridiculous. No, the tube is quite small. Yes. <laughs> but but the, the, I mean, the distance around which the particle has to travel in order, before this collision is, is quite, is, it has to get really fast. And mm-hmm. to get it as close to the speed of light as possible. Correct. And um, <clears throat> so, I mean, it's, it's an amazing breakthrough in, in that it proves this, it, it sort of validates this theory, but... I mean, there are a lot of questions about whether it was worth all the money that they spent on it. Of course it is. Of course it is. Science is always worth the money you spend. Science is always worth the money, but I'm not sure if this is where all the money should have gone. Where else should it go? 
Well, there's lots of different things that one could have could have used the money that they used to build the super collider for, or the collider. You maybe call it a super collider. <laughs> I win! I win! I can't believe it! Oh god! <laughs> you call it a goddamn super collider? It makes me crazy. I win. You, you do win. Sad. Oh, I can't. And on air too. You have proof that I said it. Oh, I feel. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. After all of our conversations. Oh, this might be my favorite episode of all. <laughs> I am deeply, I'm deeply shamed. Okay, let's talk about the difference between the Large Hadron oh, Super Collider no, and, no, and no. what actual Super Collider is. No, no, no. I don't want to talk about this. No. I'm not putting it on air. This, I'll go off. It'll be an even longer rant than it is now, so stop it. No. <laughs> the point is, is that... It's terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply shamed. My everlasting shame is caught on this, this podcast. I'm very sad. Oh. However, um, you know... I do believe that we should put a lot of money, a lot of money into science, and I do. And I, ultimately, I do think that it's not. It wasn't a waste of time because right. they found it. But there's a lot of other things that we could have done done in science with, you know, <clears throat> without finding this particle. One of the things about one of the justifications for doing such things and justifications for fundamental physics or fundamental scientific studies of any kind is that sometimes you can't predict what new knowledge will come mm-hmm. when you. And I mean, so they they proved that the Higgs boson existed which invalidates the theory, but now that they've been able to make Higgs bosons, maybe we can learn more about something, the universe. You know, like, that's, that's the implication, is that it'll have ripple-on effects for, uh, <clears throat> for all sorts of applied sciences. And so, so that's why I'm torn, you know, because I, I think that all scientific endeavor is worth pursuing, but the amount of money and energy that goes into particular types of scientific pursuit... It's a question of whether the, the return is, is worth it. And we won't see the return of, of all this investment for maybe 100 years, sure. really. But you know, in that 100 years, when we look back, I mean, I hope that we'll be able to say that it was worth all of the investment. I mean, one of the things that it did, it did spawn, actually, was the Internet. Because um, <clears throat> the first conception of this, this idea of searching for this, this particular particle involved... I think like 23 countries and a thousand scientists and, and in order to, con- to connect with each other they developed some kind of internet system which is what ended up developing into <clears throat> what was developed at I think it was Caltech or wherever it was they first started actually Wait, but I, th- I thought the original inception of the internet was for the military and it was the military a, a secure way for the military to send information <clears throat> back and forth long before scientists got involved Exactly, I and mean, it was. But the <clears throat> the idea of making um, the sort of worldwide connection between I, people and a, a large that. network of, of scientists and things like as that, as opposed to a secure, as opposed to a secure network, okay. was was something that was that was that built out of this this collaboration. So, and, and it's it, been going on for quite a long time. Yeah, remember, right? people, so, we're talking about uh, like the early '80s yeah. when the internet was first being developed. Yeah. So back when we were children. There was no internet. Yes. The internet didn't exist. No, Can you imagine right. living in a world? I mean, granted, most of the people who are, are listening to this show are people who are born before 1980. Yes. So chances are they have a similar childhood or similar uh, environment that we did growing up in that the, the internet didn't exist. So you know what it was like. But potentially to future uh, <laughs> listeners well, to, or to the children of people who are... Listening. <laughs> Imagine a world where the internet doesn't exist. Well, you can't get access to any piece of information or to any that's not true. image or to any movie or to anything you want at a moment's notice. That's Imagine true. that world. Oh. And that's the world we used to live in. And it was very common. And it was only 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. 
I mean, I like to always say that my first email address, my first email address was in high school. It was right before I went to university, and it oh, was on Ottawa yeah, Freenet. It, it would have been lo- it would have been long before or long after I got mine. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know because I had mine when I was in. I want to say before high school. Really? Yeah, I think. so. Oh, you, were you on you were on the bulletin board thing? Yeah, there yeah were, back I didn't, in the days when things. we had BBSs, BBSs. which I wasn't, were individual sites that you yeah. went to. <laughs> it's true. I was a little late into the into the world, but my first email address was on Ottawa Freenet, and it was okay. on it was on a text based. Um, Email sir, email uh, system called Pine. No and one knows what you're talking about. Yeah, I know exactly. Pine. I think the only person who might know what you're talking about mm-hmm. is uh, Dwayne, our friend Dwayne, who was on the uh, the, the the comic book slash Comic Con episode, right. the one after you were on. Right. Because in fact, I think it was the next day <laughs> after you left. Right. Um, and he was talking about, or he for the longest time used Ottawa Freenet. His his right. email address was at Freenet. At Freenet, yeah. So it was mine. My first yeah. email was at Freenet. But I mean, he was using it up until about three or four years ago. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I didn't know so, Freenet still existed. Yeah. So he's all about Freenet. Wow. Okay. Well, anyway, I mean, the point is, is that you know, this was a this was when it was purely information exchange, and right. it wasn't about pictures, and it wasn't about movies, and right. it wasn't about streaming, and it wasn't about ebooks, it wasn't about any of those things. Right. It was just it was text. just text. Yeah. And um, I mean, I remember when. You know, the, we had the first color screen. Like this was a, this yep, was a huge yep. deal. I remember us. working on Apple IIc. I think it was in in Dad's um, work at, at the University of Alberta, where we were in our very early teens. Uh, on like a Saturday or a Sunday, he would take us into work. And I had them at school. We had those Apple ones at, in our that would been late. That would been later. Do you remember at, the, at Windsor Park? I don't remember that. We had in elementary. Yeah, we had because yeah. that's where we. There I took my first. Um, or typing lesson or computer lesson. And we used to make those, you used to like, you know, from the Bites Brothers in the back of that book. Yeah, but that was PC-based. That wasn't Apple-based. No, but at, at, at all schools at that time, they had they had Apples. Really? They had Apple computers, yeah. They had these Macintosh computers. I don't think so. There was also a PC. I think I was working on Tandys. Were you? Yeah, yeah. When I was going to junior high, which is when I had my first introduction to computers. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, Dad was our first introduction yes. to computers. And he was dealing with computers. You know, he was dealing with punch cards yes. from mainframes. Well, That's how long ago we're talking I, about. I think it. we really have to have to make a shout-out to Dad about this. Because, sure, He's, he'll never you know, hear it. For, yeah, well, no, I told him about it, and they said they would listen. Oh, really? Yeah, because I told them I was on it, so I oh, wanted to listen to Of course, they'll listen to that one. They will listen to yours, too. Shush. <laughs> no, they won't, because they don't care about gaming. They'll, ne- they'll, no, they'll never true. listen. <clears throat> but anyway, that, that you know, when, when I know when she was writing her master's thesis, mm-hmm. they had to, the, all the data they had to, they collected, they had to analyze. And so dad wrote her right, punch right, card computer right. program. He, he would punch, he would produce yeah. the punch cards required for mom's yeah. uh, thesis. That's right. That's right, to analyze the data for her thesis, which right. I think is, is awesome. Like, that's just hilarious. Well, sure, because he dealt with computers. He yeah. knew how well, to do it. He was a chemical engineer. He just, it's just his hobby that he loved yeah. computers. No, but a lot of his work was done it. with computers as well. Not uh, not that much. He, I mean, he did punch card stuff, but but it wasn't really because of his schooling. He was just interested in those kind of things himself. I thought it was part of because of the uh, experiments that he was doing or the the stuff that he was working on required uh-huh. some sort of computer analysis, which is why he became adept at using these punch card systems. Possibly, but he was a chemical engineer. Like he right, wasn't he wasn't engineer. an electronics kind of guy. Correct. But he really liked those kind of things. And we had a computer in our house, like much, yeah, much earlier than, earlier a lot than of people. most people. Yeah. Although the first time we ran across a computer, do you remember this? Which one? The or the first time we cra- yeah the first time we ran across a computer that wasn't ours but that we used for games. That one is Arda and Doa. Our, Commodore yeah, 64. Our, our, I our, love our good that. Turkish friends Arda and Doa oh in God. Edmonton, who again will never hear this, no, but, but maybe they will. Well, you have to send it out. I'll, to them. I'll, I'll give shout outs to them. 
And we used to play games, and I, I know I talked about this on a previous podcast, in that we used to play games that were on tapes. Yes. So they're, they're Commodore... Actually, it might have been even before, been before well, the 64. It might have been the... Uh, the one that I, I remember playing on the 64. There was, they also had a pre-64 one, whatever that one was, that had the... Like, I, I always used the cartridge tape, the yeah. ones, right? Um, and the 64 game that I liked the most was the California... X Games one or whatever, where you could surf and skateboard, and right, 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 basketball. Maybe I don't remember right. what it was, but it was California Games or yeah. something, and it was it was awesome. <laughs> anyway, so, so we did a lot of gaming, even, and, even as children. And Anna would never let us buy that. We had an Atari though. We did have an Atari because she said we had an Atari. We weren't allowed to buy a sixty-four. Yeah, it made sense. What do you need a computer for when you have a console system? Although a lot these of days, console systems the suck, and PC games so much better. Well, that's. You That's should, my you shouldn't say that kind of thing That's on, on a gaming opinion. podcast, but anyway. I, I, I absolutely will say that. Yeah. I mean, I, I still have my PS2, and I will occasionally yeah. play games on it, but I don't like playing games on my PS2. I much prefer playing on PCs. Well, but, but that's just my opinion. Others may, I others say may that, vary. You know, I would like console games a little bit more, because I don't mind the controller thing, mm-hmm. like using controller, but it's just that the games that I like tend not to be... To be made for those those kinds of consoles, and they wouldn't work on those. And kind they wouldn't of games. work because the purpose of it is to shoot people, basically. And I'm not about that. But see, I, I, I find I too. find those consoles to be the worst thing to use to okay. shoot people because those controls aren't. Though you 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 can't you can't manipulate. I, I can manipulate far far faster with, right? with a mouse and keyboard, yeah, keyboard. than I can with um, with a, a either a, a joystick is a little better. But even that's not as good as a mouse and keyboard. Mouse and keyboard is by far the fastest interface. Well, until you're able to track eye movement. Once you get to that stage, that becomes the fastest. You don't think the Kinect thing is good, like being able to use your hands and stuff. I'm sure that's fantastic, but I don't think that will help you in a shooter-based game. No, specifically, I'm talking specifically about shooters. shooters. I, I don't know. I mean, the only I, I'm I'm generally not I'm not very good, first of all, at, at shooting Fair games, enough. and I don't so I don't like them. But I do enjoy going to the arcade and shooting things. Where you have an actual gun. Where you have an actual gun that you can shoot with. And then, even though I'm against guns and I'm a pacifist. I was going to say, you know, I can take you to a range and we can shoot for real. Well, you know, I might actually be interested in that. It's but, fantastic. But I do enjoy it's the most amazing thing. I, I do enjoy a good uh, like you know computer game. Like Duck Hunt was one of my favorite games. <laughs> but I used to play Duck Hunt. Basically, where I was touching the screen with yeah. the, with the gun. Cheating right? is the cheating. word you were looking exactly. for. Cheating, cheating. Because Duck Hunt was, was actually challenging. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot of hand coordination, I will say. Uh, but the ones where you are physically holding a gun, mm-hmm. that's the. I, so I find that trying to do that from a from a pad is very challenging. Exactly. You you right, can't so. because the the problem is you're it's, trying to go in, in multiple in like three in well yeah. two dimensions really, but you, but you're very limited in your. In the speed, say of, of how uh, yeah, uh, the speed of, the of scrolling or, yeah. or tracking, and the direction in which that tracking can go, mm-hmm. you, you really can only go eight ways in that joystick. It's, right. it's not a true okay. Uh, well, maybe there is a mouse. Maybe the later versions are slightly better. No, a mouse is perfect. Like if if I want to go at a at a seventy two degree angle, I go at a seventy two oh, degree right, angle because it's on it's on a flat surface. Right, and you can right, and, and I, it goes wherever I direct, mm-hmm. and it goes at the speed that I direct. So right. if I go slowly, it goes slowly. If I go faster, it goes faster. Good point. That's not true on a joystick. It goes at a set speed. Right, the speed of the joystick itself. Right. Which is also why I had, always had a problem with these kind of games mm-hmm. where I would try to force my guy to go for, for faster <laughs> by throwing the joystick to the left or the right or whatever. Like physically moving yes, the, uh, the, that, the pad. The that never pad. actually worked <laughs> until now. Until, until Wii, now, which yeah. Is very exciting. That's why I, you know I don't I have a Wii. I don't have a Kinect or anything, but right. 
I, I do, and but again, the kind of games that it's useful for, and this 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 goes back a little bit to what we were talking about about three D three D movies and stuff mm-hmm. is that, you know, the Kinect and the Wii and stuff work for particular types of games, right? But it doesn't work for all games sure. for the reason that people are so used to using a joy a, like a joystick or a pad or some physical object mm-hmm. that it's very difficult to do those same movements just randomly into the air right. and get the same response. So the kind of games that are successful are the ones like the dancing games and the you know, even like Rock Band, that kind of stuff. But in, even in Rock Band, you need to have some kind of physical object in your hand to make it work for you. You don't. I've seen people play Rock Band by pressing buttons on a standard controller. Ugh. But that seems to be the worst possible way to play that game. Yeah, that just seems... Because you don't get anything out of it. No, there's no point in doing it that way. Right. And, and, I mean, part of the appeal is just sort of pretend that you're yeah. like a rock star. Yeah. And You've got your, you've guitar, got your guitar in your hand. And, and I, can, I can imagine an air guitar kind of... Because I've air guitar before, sure. and it's fun. But it's always more fun to air guitar with that cardboard guitar, right? So And, and the most know. important thing is they've taken it to the next level. Yeah. Where now, instead of using a plastic instrument... You can use a real you're guitar. You're now using a real guitar. Right. I have one. I know. You, you, you bought it when I was here a lot. Oh, that's right. That's, time, that's right. right? That's right. Christmas that was or Christmas something. time, yeah. yeah. I saw that one. Incredible. Is that a real guitar, though? It actually is. Like it's, you, it's, you it's a full unplug Fender, it. And it's a full Fender oh, Stratocaster. Cool. cool. The one I bought. Mm-hmm. Which... Oh, then I didn't see that one, because I saw the one with the plastic Oh, you saw the plastic one. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I then found a guy who was selling a used one in Kingston. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Because they, they stopped making them. Yeah. They made one batch, sold it out, and that was it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... In some ways, we're all, we're, I mean, ultimately, all of these things are really moving towards the holodeck. I do think that that's the, the ultimate goal of all these things, is to have a fully immersive, three-dimensional environment, a so virtual reality environment in which you are, are the object and are, are right. interacting with objects, and it's like a real experience. I think the day that happens, we lose 30% of all human beings. Because <laughs> I'll never come out of the holodeck Because again. I'll never leave. Yeah. That's the one thing that I always thought about Star Trek that was so yeah, unrealistic. Why, why, why would you venture out into the world well, where you can recreate anything you want at, the, at, the, at your fingertips? I guess maybe your brain in some way knows that, that it's, not, it's not real. Well, that was always the the, uh, the implication, right? I mean, because one of the big questions is why would you just be having sex all the time in the, in the holodeck? If you non-stop! Could? Non-stop, right? And, I mean, then there's... I know you don't watch Voyager, but... There I was, most certainly do not. There was an episode of Voyager where uh, one of the Vulcan characters, you know, underwent the Ponfar, mm-hmm. which is their, their sexual maturity. Yeah, but there, but there were no other Vulcans There are no so Vulcans. far away. Exactly. So there's no way to do this, and in fact, he... I mean, they, they dealt with it in another way where they didn't actually end up having sex. They had a... Because apparently, it's, it's very handy for the plot line that you can either resolve your Ponfar problem by having sex or by having a ritual combat that somehow, you know, purges your, your right. desires or whatever. But the point was is that... Uh, Garbage, <laughs> bullshit Star Trek as opposed to good Star Trek. Yeah, 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 whatever. But the point was that... So the doctor designed a little, like, a holodeck program and, you know, for, for him to have sex, basically, okay. with, with a Vulcan. And um, and the character very clearly says... Wait, wait, is this the same doctor who's also a hologram? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't... Just don't, don't try to... So the hologram doctor created a, hol- a sex hologram for, for the Vulcan. For the Vulcan, okay. yes. And, and the Vulcan says, you know, basically that it's not the same thing. And it's not the same and it's not... Like, why would I choose to do this when I could be with a real person kind of thing? And, but you can. That's why you need to do this. Yeah, well, and that was the point of the doctor. was like, well, you know, it's the Ponfar is all in the mind anyway. So if you have, you have to overcome your prejudices... And believe it's real and whatever but the point the point the, impl- the implied point of it is that you know that it's not real you know that it's, it's there's some real. level at which you know it's not real listen so, I know porn's not real and it's perfectly
certainly enjoyable. I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, you know, but, I mean, speaking of porn, there, there has been a, a move towards 3D porn, for example. See, 3D that, porn doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah. I mean, but the idea was that it, you, you could interact, you could like, oh, turn I it see, in any I direction, see. and you could look at it from any angle. And gotcha. You could, you could sort of control the movie yourself, but it hasn't really... That would really, be kind of cool. Well, but I, from what I... Because I, clearly I follow these things, but from what I've heard, it hasn't really gained any traction. Because gotcha. it's, it's expensive, obviously, to do it, right? And right. so, I mean, porn is already pretty expensive. And so if you... Double or triple it. I mean, I porn, porn in general. Porn is at all expensive. It's one of the cheapest well, art forms. Depends where you get your porn from. If you go to a video store, like a like a store and buy porn, most no, of it is no one does fairly expensive. Anymore. Exactly, no one does it. Everything's anymore. free on the internet now. Exactly. So and you you can find anything you're looking for for free, even though it's a regular pay thing. I know you, you can, can still find it it's, for free if, on if the you, internet. If you, if you try hard enough, you can find whatever you want. Definitely. <clears throat> it doesn't take that much trying. If it's you really, try, really easy. If you try, you can find it yes. definitely. And there is a fetish for every, like there's some. Oh, you know, I wonder if you get it. Like, this is not that podcast. No. But maybe I will start. No, <laughs> sex podcast. But my point was is that you know there's a point where I mean I agree porn is great and everything, but it doesn't really replace actual sex. And um, and and I think that's the same way with these virtual worlds right. is that there's a part of you that that ultimately no matter how much you're interacting with your friends in right. the, in the holodeck. The lack of human human interaction at any level would would just would drive me crazy after a while. I think because people do ha- are, are social and they want other people around and you know and having programmed people who will respond to you in a way that you can predict is not actually sure satisfying that that sort of desire for social interaction. But if technology has gotten to the point where we can create these three D holograms that are that realistic and you can touch them and feel them, probably it's artificial intelligence. Then the AI would yeah. have also been expanded. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, hopefully. And Anyway, maybe. none of this is actually, actually important, and we've gone for almost two hours now. This is going to be, unless I cut <laughs> stuff out, and we have solid gold here. I don't know if, I, if there's anything I'll cut out. We've gone almost two hours, like an hour 50. Stop this in an hour. What are you doing? Well, it was, it was, it was a good conversation. It's because it's I keep segueing, or like yes, there was having a lot these tangents of, on weird things. Maybe I'll cut out every segue. <laughs> All the stuff about feminism. <laughs> Possibly. No, I don't care about that. And, and our listeners are very much into feminism, cool. so... I know Tara is, and I know that Mike's wife, Crystal, who uh, he always complains to me that I fail to mention on the podcast, who's awesome and who I've met, she's also into feminism. Go Crystal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not surprisingly. <laughs> like, kick-ass, cool women are into feminism. <laughs> so hopefully anybody found this our, our conversation interesting. I, find, I mean, we have these kind of conversations all the time, which sure. is why you're always wanting to record them. But Yeah, I think this is actually a really good conversation. And one of the things I think I'll put up when I post it, especially on, well, on the Facebook page when I link to it, mm-hmm. Or when I share it, whatever it is. Even those of you who aren't gamers or don't don't give a crap about gaming, listen to the second half of this podcast where we talk about physics and it's fun. <laughs> or at least not dry and boring. Uh, well, physics isn't dry and boring. It's just about how uh, people it depends, sell it, to you. it depends who's talking about it. It really depends on who you're talking to. Well, that's good. Well, I mean, I love physics, obviously, so... So to me, it's the most fascinating thing possible. And there's lots of cool offshoots of physics, which sure. is the stuff that we talked about, which... You know what we didn't talk about? What's that? And now we don't have time for it because we're, we're going to say goodbye because it's the longest episode we've ever had <laughs> and right. almost like like 50% longer than any other uh, podcast we've had. Perfect. What you're working on right now. So just give us a... Okay. Okay. Let's go. We're going to go exactly two hours. So you have seven minutes seven minutes. Oh, to talk about what it is that you're currently working on. Well, I don't know if it's that exciting for people to, to, to hear about, but I'm, I've been working for years, as you may have mentioned, as I... <clears throat> 
keeps coming up in the in the podcast right. at various locations. I've been working in plastic electronics, so I use organic molecules, so different kinds of plastics, to make computers and displays. And uh, and what I'm working on right now is our solar cells. So I make uh, <clears throat> photovoltaic panels, the kind of stuff that you have on your on your roof, for example. But rather than making it out of silicon, which is what all of those ones are, we make them out of different kinds of plastic. And okay, let, let me let me say this then. Sure. Since Plastics are made out of carbon yes. and petroleum yes. and things that are um, uh, finite. Yep. We don't have a, an infinite supply of it. Wouldn't using silicone make more sense? <laughs> Isn't this counterintuitive if you're looking to extend our alternate fuel, for, fuel sources? So, why, so Why would you want to use organics to create these things when the problem we have is... Is it, a d- diminishing yeah. lack of oil. So why wouldn't you then use sand, which is everywhere, <laughs> to make these? Well, the real, the, I mean, the, the ultimate answer to that question has to do with, with costs, right? That, okay. that right now, even though silicon is the most abundant mm-hmm. material on the, on the planet, and... Is it? Isn't water more abundant than silicon? No, silicon is the most abundant. Seriously? So, 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 as as, a, as a, uh, an element, okay. the most abundant is silicon. <clears throat> um, and because sand is everywhere, right? Yeah. It's, it's in everything, uh, or most things. <laughs> um, Hopefully, not your cooch. <laughs> <laughs> that would be bad. Don't put diamonds anywhere. No, <laughs> don't put like. Anyway, yes. Like but the point is, is that uh, <clears throat> you know, silicon is very abundant, and mm-hmm. in the ability to make silicon wafers is actually a, it's very cheap. Mm-hmm. But it's very. And they've been intensive. using it for bazillions of years. They have, like forever, yeah. like since the seventies. Yeah, or, or possibly like, before that. The very, the very first solar panels, which are still, which are still operational, that were put up on uh, the little satellite, were made of silicon. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, those are the kind of things that that still exist. And silicon is great, and it works really well. But it's actually really expensive to produce a module out of silicon silicon wafers. Okay. Because to make, I mean, to cover your whole roof, for example, you need to use a lot of small wafers because wafers, the maximum size of wafers at the moment, is uh, I think twelve inches is the largest wafer that they can make okay. and um, and in the 1970s when they were first making these things the, the bus was, it was like 6 and, right. and 8 was a big was a big breakthrough and 10 was huge and then 12 right? Okay. and it's, there's a finite size to how big you can make them why? <clears throat> well I mean that's, in, in 3 minutes why? There's, <laughs> there's, the method of producing crystals is, is actually quite uh, quite complicated and I can't go into it okay. but uh, I mean all of those wafers and everything that we use for electronics and everything like that are all made from single crystals of silicon. This means that oh, they have no so defects. They're they perfect crystals. Oh, they're perfect yeah. crystals, and they have to be grown in a large out of a large vat of okay. liquid silicon, and they have to pull these these crystals. And basically, you pull really large ingots, and then you slice these ingots into these into these slices. So the the larger it is, the harder it is to make it a pure defect free crystal. Okay. Right? And so there's some finite limit. To, you can't make it covering the size of football fields. It's physically impossible, and there's no there's no way to do it at the moment. Okay. <clears throat> and and so the idea of moving towards organic systems is that <clears throat> we produce a lot of organic materials for very, very for cheap, even cheaper than silicon. Things like nylon and things like that that sure. are produced in really large quantities are really, really inexpensive. <clears throat> and so the fact that we produce them out of out of carbon-based systems, out of petroleum products, ultimately is it's a limiting thing. But if we stop using petroleum for energy, then we can we have a lot more petroleum left over to make gotcha. plastics out of. And the percentage of the usage of, of petroleum for plastics is much, much lower than that for, for energy. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> and so the implication is with these systems, if they're super cheap 
and they have that flexibility option, so you can do things like make a roll-up display or anything like that. Like right. I, I have at this moment, I have on my uh, laptop bag a polymer-based solar cell that I use to charge my cell phone. For example, right, right, right. <laughs> right? It's, it's it's literally sewn into the li- the outside lining of your backpack. Uh, it's on a Velcro sheet that is put into the backpack. Oh, okay. But but basically, yes. Yeah. So it's a flexible piece of you know on, on a fabric background right. that I, then you can put on whatever. Okay. And, uh, and these kind of things exist already. <clears throat> and the idea is that you can make it flexible in any kind of shape. And then my quest, my, my research, is to make it cheap enough that if, you know, imagine it being something like paint. Like if, if, you, if you painted your house with this, these solar materials. If you painted yeah. your house with solar materials. Yeah, so you have these, these solar, solar cell materials. You paint your house and it produces enough electricity to, say, run, I don't know, your furnace or something. But then, how would how would it get to your furnace? Well, the way I mean, you have to you have to do a lot of things to allow the <clears throat> the energy that you 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 have you've collected from somewhere to 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 be collected into something like a battery or okay. to use it as a trickle charger into your furnace or whatever. You can you can electrify your house in various ways. I'm just like if if it's paint that you're rolling on, mm-hmm. how does it make a uh, how does it form a physical connection that would that you would well, need to transport the energy? Well, I mean the whole point is that these this paint material that whatever it is that you're, you're putting on your on your house is semiconductive and has conductors in it so you can you know add wires to it. So if you have a strip of wires along the bottom this is the, where it collects all the electricity. For oh, so I, I see. So you would you would pre-wire the house yeah. and then paint over those paint over, wires. Exactly. Oh, okay, okay. Something like that, okay. or or some other possible way yeah, of doing yeah. it. But the idea is that the the material itself is cheap enough that you could, if you were to paint your house, that it wouldn't cost any more than painting your house regularly would. Okay. So even if it didn't last twenty five years, but it was cheap enough, you could replace it every you know every four or five years, and it wouldn't be cost prohibitive. Because okay. what prevents you know solar from taking off right now is that it currently it costs and is projected to cost five times more than every other type of, of energy, whether it be oil and gas or hydroelectric or anything, any other than renewables. Solar still costs five times more than that. Just to get the solar cells. Just to get solar cells. Okay. And so if you, <clears throat> and to get energy from solar cells. Okay. And so even if you combine all the other types of energy that we use all together, it still costs less than silicon, okay. than, than, than solar does. So the cost is a huge, is a huge problem. And, and that's what we work on. We work on trying to make it super cheap. And using these, these polymers is the way to do it. Okay. Well, and with that, we're going to call an end to the show. <laughs> at at 159.50. I can talk for 10 more seconds. <laughs> no, I think it's good. Because I'm still going to need to cut in the intro. Right, of course. Which is like a 15, 20 seconds. So we've already gone over. All right. Well, you can cut this part out anyway. Yeah, I suppose. And uh, that's going to be it for us. Uh, the Out of the Basement Podcast, episode 8. I hope I said it right the first time. Yes. I don't honestly don't remember. But if I didn't, I'll just redo it. it two hours ago? So two hours ago. It was yeah. a, a long time ago. And it's St. Patrick's Day, so uh, now we're going to go off and go drinking. Yay! Goodbye, everybody.